Welcome to Monkey and Frank. My name is Do and my body is Dom. And today we're continuing Matt's journey into his life. And when it comes to the psychedelic, how are you doing, Matt? I'm doing great, Dom. Thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure. All right. So I wanted to start by kind of wrapping uh, my head of where we were yesterday in the story. So from what I gathered, um, you're you're a man that grew up where you had difficulties uh, with your mother when it came to abuse or stuff like that. But in the knowing as well that your mom went through something very traumatic in her childhood. So we're not placing blame on anybody here. We're just uh, telling the story. And as you went through life, uh, you were a Christian boy. You believe in all of the teachings of Jesus, which I do as well. So beautiful. Um, but I'm guessing that there was a, a part that was missing. You were trying to find yourself, trying to find a purpose. You were successful in business. You were successful when it came to a woman and dating. Uh, you were successful in pretty much any endeavors because you had the discipline that was instilled in you by your, your family, your dad. And I'm guessing uh, we didn't really talk about that, but we'll get into it. And you took a, a mushroom trip that we talked about yesterday in the in the podcast with this girl and it really opened up your eyes and your awareness into all the teachings that you had accumulated in christianity but now you were seeing it like from a point of view of a child which is so amazing and then there was a five-year period where you were still trying to find yourself because a mushroom had kicked your ass um, with the dragons <laughs> that was uh, looking at you and uh, like, stop running away. I don't know what you're doing, uh, which was really cool. Uh, so we were at the point where we, you were in Peru and you were starting to, uh, to do your first ceremony with ayahuasca. But I want to pause that because I've got so many more questions about that five-year period beforehand. So I hope you don't mind that I bring it back. Uh, I really want to explore more things. And the one thing I wanted to explore is your NDMA trips that you've done. I've done some NDMA in my past as well, and even before ayahuasca. And I want to hear your point of view on those uh, trips or on those uh, experiences that you had with MDMA. Do you mind talking about them? Sure. Uh, so before I launch into that, let me make sure I've understood your um, summary of what we went over yesterday. You'd mentioned a five-year period. So from the time I had my first mushroom, or really my first psychedelic experience, that was in 2014. Uh, and I went to the jungle in March of 2016. So there was only less two than years. a two-year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, no, it's okay. That We went over a lot of information. And as far as chronology it's something yeah. gonna get missed along the way um so in regards to mdma man it's interesting I, I my views on the that molecule have shifted over the years but the i, I do recall um friends bringing that to me and it was all, always in a party setting uh you know like going out to the club together and dancing and i was pretty self conscious you know I didn't like looking like a fool I didn't know how to dance and so I was one to usually sit on the sidelines um, until I had enough alcohol in me or in this case MDMA and that you know that inhibition that that fear of people looking at you goes down so um, as far as like the sensation of it all like I I 
I really enjoyed MDMA because it, it puts you so much in your body. And looking back at my, I had patterns of disassociation quite a bit. It hurt to be in my body a lot. Um, and especially with all the suppression that was going on with, of emotions. And so um, MDMA was a really enjoyable uh, experience. I didn't so much enjoy the after experience, right? Because you release so much serotonin. Oh, yeah. Um, you get you so get tired. Complete, exactly. Getting, sorry, my phone's tied to my laptop and it's doing its thing again. No worries. I don't uh, even hear a thing. Me, oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, like the, the foggy brain, the, yeah, the whole effect was uh, one that I didn't enjoy, especially for someone who relied so much on like that prefrontal cortex, analytical mind focus, and uh, that you need to, to be productive in life, you know, in our society. So um, yeah, it was, it was, a, initially it was one that I tried a few times and didn't use it thereafter, but um, so I had the, a few. Sorry okay. about that. So what changed in your perception when it came to alcohol? Because from the last time uh, we had talked yesterday, in the previous podcast, I mean, is uh, alcohol was a no-go and then somehow uh, it changed after the mushroom trip? What what happened there? Um, alcohol. So if I'm, if I led you to believe that things changed between the mushroom trip. Oh, no, no, not, uh, no, not the mushroom trip. Just at one point you were talking to me about like you started drinking really late. You took it once and it's like, how do even people you know, like that feeling. I, oh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was, again, my, uh, I, I must have misled you in the chronology of things. No worries. I didn't have my, I didn't have my first full alcohol drink till I was 21. And it, it just, I didn't see the appeal of it. Right. Um, so I, I, I did begin to, to have more drinking experiences, um, around my college years. Right. And, and that's when, uh, more like social drinking and and then uh it didn't become problematic looking back until probably 2015 and that was just because i was using it for self-soothing purposes right um, and same with the mdma i guess not in uh you were not doing it in a medical sense where you wanted to kind of process your feelings you were doing it to deassociate, to be able to fit in and have fun i guess right just a little bit of a break yeah, definitely like giving myself a break, right? Like I, and just curiosity, I'd hear these, these stories about like, oh, this is the love drug. You just feel so connected. And for somebody like myself at that time who felt so disconnected, that was uh, the possibility to have a shortcut to that sounded great. Um, and again, that experience of being flooded with uh, feelings of connection and love. I, I remember standing in the club and only knowing a few people, right? My friends that were there with me but looking out at the crowd being like, all we need is love. That's what we all really want. And that was like a, an, an epiphany for me at the time. Uh, uh, but it was, it was transient, right? Like that connection left as soon as the drug, the peak experience of the drug was out of my body. So I noticed that uh, myself as well, like MDMA, if even like when I would resolve uh, like deep trauma, it, it didn't really resolve them. It would just kind of show me light at the end of the tunnel. And then the work was left to me to kind of continue in a very tired yeah. way the next day or, or, uh, now when it came to your, uh, I, sorry, I still, I love the dragon parts and I love, 
when you were after the mushroom trip, what what was your relationship with spirit? Like I know growing up as a Christian boy and like they talk about like the the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Did you had any sense that spirit because I I want to hear more about that. Uh, so my relationship to spirit, um, there was a great disconnect, you know, uh, between, between spirit, between uh, God, the universe and myself, or how I experienced myself. And that was in part what I was really searching for looking back. So yesterday I had said, you know, I was searching for purpose. I was searching for God. I was searching for myself, my true self. And, um, the religion, you know, I, I had grown up, like I said, in the Christian church and I had, I had the teachings, but like the, the, like the teachings just kind of fell on deaf ears after a while. It's like, oh, I've heard this. Like if the whole point of Christianity seems to, to save the lost, like the world's lost. There's a small group, or well, maybe not small, but you know, about a billion people who, who have the truth. Well, the majority of the rest of the world apparently don't. Um, and that just, it wasn't that narrative that didn't sit right, but looking back, I just think it's kind of a silly narrative. Um, it's really uh, so, confusing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but as far as like my relationship to spirit, um, I, yeah, there was just, it just, it wasn't connecting for me anymore. And, and I had to acknowledge that. And, you know, that was what my looking at philosophy and, um, I did read other books on different other, or I did read books in regards to like Hinduism and Buddhism and um, different spiritual books, but it just was more of an intellectual process. It didn't feel like there was any heart in it. And, right. Um, and did you feel yeah, like, like uh, did, sorry, did you feel like hell messed you up a little bit or after a while you really kind of put away that idea like oh maybe hell is only here like what was your relationship with hell oh that's a good question um the you're saying the doctrine around hell within yeah the yeah church sure that i i mean essentially essentially that divides divides um the self in some way right it's like hell is this place heaven is this place both are apart from you separate from you and so the narrative that I had was almost like a merit system for to a degree. It's like, I have to, you know, not sin. I need to watch, watch my mouth. I need to watch my behavior. And um, if I mess up, then I need to ask for forgiveness. But then there was this constant, like, am I really saved? Have I really been forgiven? I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> so it's a, it impacts, it impacts the psychology in like a way that like, for me, was super vigilant. It's like I, I was. It's it almost like very fear-based, right? Yeah. I'm afraid, so I need to be vigilant. Um, unwinding uh. that, unwinding that doctrine, and doing so through experience was the only way I came out of it. And by that, I mean there. I had. I had. I had to catch myself, almost like watching compulsive behavior. Going, I messed up. I need to ask for forgiveness okay, ask for forgiveness. I don't feel any better. Okay. That's honest. I don't feel any better. So maybe this, what I'm feeling right now is hell. Maybe this is what, like, instead of it being a place that you end up, maybe it's a state of being. And so that, 
that it was almost like a, a, a dawning of an awareness, right? Like a realization. And then what were the implications of that? Well, if the implications are that hell and heaven are states of being, uh, then, then I, <laughs> I have more questions than answers right now. And that, that kind of lent to, but I, yeah, that, that lent to more interest in spirituality again. Um, and philosophy, I'm guessing as well. Yeah, and philosophy. And also, I will say what was great about the endeavor of looking into philosophies and different frameworks is that instead of being closed off thinking you have or thinking I had the truth and it was the end all, it opens you up to realize that so many other thinkers have uh, looked at the, the questions that we wrestle with of being human, of existing, and uh, there was pain because, you know, having to shed old ways of thinking or challenge very uh, established ways of thinking as being separate from God, as being, uh, you know, like there's an angry God and a loving son and there's a devil who wants to trip you up. All these forces happening outside of you and having a paradigm shift to um, all of it is actually within and yeah. It's so pretty cool that. Yeah. No, continue. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I realize as I'm talking, I, I feel like I'm being quite vague in some areas. So feel free to. Oh, no, 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 no. Know, I'm going to continue. Po- like. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to poke in as much because you're piquing my curiosity, curiosity so much because I'm seeing it from my point of view. And it's really beautiful to see that, you know, even with this knowledge, it was as confusing as uh, my journey you know I didn't have none of this knowledge before going to ayahuasca so you know it, it gives me a, not hope but like it under like it opens me up to the paradox that anybody everybody is going through some sort of like you say uh, struggles within when it comes to the light the dark and everything that's external that's kind of pushing inside like hey you need to believe this you need to believe that and especially come from your parents right so now you're like on your way to peru and i know that in christianity shamanism is like the devil <laughs> like straight up the devil and mm-hmm. you growing up that way and now you need to hide everything from your family just to kind of find yourself and like you for me it was a big thing of uh, last resort like i need to do something about this i cannot sustain this type of life it's crazy so it's really beautiful seeing from your what you're going through because you have all of the knowledge before going to ayahuasca. So I think we're ready. I think uh, I think we're ready uh, for you to continue yeah, let, the yeah. Let me just say one one thing in uh, regards to uh, my family dynamic and religion. So within that time frame of me getting ready to to go to Peru um, and all that led up to it what was very evident to me was my family did not have the answers that I was looking for. Uh, The religion of Christianity did not have the answers that I was looking for. It wasn't satiating. Um, And neither of my parents had walked the path that I had, that I was walking as far as challenging um, belief systems. And that's not a critique. That was just a realization. And that that's kind of a lonely place at the time because your parents, you know, are supposed to be in the role of being able to guide you. And I knew that this is what I meant by it takes courage. I knew that they wouldn't know what to do with um, 
my questions. I mean, I try to broach certain questions around depression and anxiety. And um, I, I get the history of the family from, from my mom, right? She'd share as much as she was comfortable with. Uh, but, but it was missing resolution. And so I was looking for resolution. And that's, yeah, that's, that's a key piece. I realized I couldn't find it where I was. Change is necessary. And it also, that's, that's, uh, it also speaks volume at how messed up uh, our parents, your parents are not necessarily messed up, but how confusing and lonely it must have been in their spirituality. You know? The, yeah. Oh my God. Right. And like I say, there is no blame towards them. All love. Right. But it's, uh, it's something else. Wow. Yeah. yeah that's exactly right. Um, I mean, then there was, I was also carrying a lot of anger and resentment that I was, um, I felt, but wasn't able or willing to name, you know, I felt re resentful, but at the same time guilty that I felt that way towards my parents because simultaneously I felt grateful for a lot of the opportunities that they'd given me the love and support of course of my parents growing up um i mean my dad both my parents were very involved in my teenage years for sure uh, and, and adolescent years um, but also resentment feeling like they didn't prepare me for the real world in certain ways and coping and other things so um Yeah, no, no, no blame, really. But like, at the same time, having to acknowledge the history that's there and what shaped the present moment and shaped um, the personality. So you're speaking the same language as as me. It's so beautiful. Like you are a reflection of me, but I, in a, so many different ways. Um, so are you ready to, to go back to Peru? <laughs> Let's go back to Peru. All right. So your first ceremony, or even before, uh, I know you were talking a lot about the group and how awesome they were and how much diversity they were. So that must have been, uh, you know, as much as the inner critic was talking to you and you were actually talking back to it for the first time saying like, no, you know, I need to do this. You're seeing other people that are going through the same thing as you from all walks of life. That's, tell me, you know, continue, yeah. Yeah, so what comes to mind is the first the first uh, afternoon early evening that we were there we were in the maloka and we were doing this uh, exercise where you sit with one other person across from you and you keep eye contact and and really it's a practice of vulnerability and presence um, something that i felt very uncomfortable with but the beauty of this kind of work And is, you know, you, you show up <laughs> with all the fear and all the, the worries. And um, there's this transformative experience uh, even before the ayahuasca, really. So I, I remember sitting across from this, from this guy. And uh, sadly, I don't remember his name at the moment. Um, uh, but he was just looking at me. Like, I felt like he was piercing my soul. And And it, I had not allowed myself to be seen in that way without words, of course, just sitting and looking. Um, but I think that was like a little breadcrumb or a, uh, another inching closer to being open for the work that was ahead with Madre, um, being vulnerable with self and being vulnerable with others. And that's exactly what the ayahuasca retreat 
container and preparatory work is, right? Getting you ready to be as vulnerable as you can um, for the most depth and um, transform transformative experience. So um, from there, and again, there were 17, 18 people um, who were doing this exercise um, that it was really establishing trust in the group because you're about to go through some really deep work together. And again, as I said in the previous podcast, themes of abuse, uh, neglect, sexual traumas, all, all and more came up. And to know that you're not alone in what you're feeling, what you're experiencing, what you, what you have experienced, uh, I think was a really key piece to the preparatory part of the journey and before right, drinking. And right and now I, you're, I also, oh, sorry, continue. Oh, sorry. And one more thing is, and I think it's, in order to really let go in that kind of a setting, you have to know that you're safe, right? We have our safeguards. We have our, our uh, protector part of ourself that won't let us drop our guard no matter what, unless we know that there are people who are trustworthy around us who will catch us in some way. And I think that was another part of the practice. Um, not so much with the participants who we're going to be drinking, because obviously we're going to be under the medicine. We're not in a place to take care of each other. Um, but even with the facilitators, with the shamans, um, with the founders of the, the retreat, uh, building up a rapport in a short amount of time is no easy task. So that says a lot about the people who are doing the work as well. So, A hundred percent. But now I feel like you're, you're talking in hindsight, but at the time, uh, I know that you really waited until the very last week to kind of start eating well and no sex and, you know, to do the, oh, yeah. the work because of the circumstances of your situation. But while you were doing that exercise of staring into the other person's soul, how successful were you? And not successful, but like, how did it feel? Like, was it, was it very difficult at, at that time? Or like, uh, I want to, if you can walk me through it, like your sensation, because that's something else. Yeah, you know, it was, it was, <laughs> we got a little horn, horn support. Um, it was, it was very uncomfortable and it was uncomfortable. Like, as I said, I felt like someone was piercing into my, into my very insecurities, but I saw no judgment. I felt no judgment. I just felt the fear of being seen. Yeah. The, right. There was where, I, where I'm used to having my guard up in some way at that point having a, having a um, filtered, giving a filtered experience, right? Like if you, if you think of, uh, if you think of how we interact a lot of times, we, we only show parts of ourselves because it's safe to do so around certain people. And that's just the reality of, of uh, that point in my life. I was showing only parts of myself. So that was a moment where I felt very uncomfortable, but still safe. Because that practice yeah. seems so valuable in the day-to-day -day life. Like I'm thinking to even implement that myself tonight. So can you tell me a little bit, how did they preface that exercise so that if anybody out there wanted to start getting their heart opened and being observed, you know, by another fully, how, they would, how would they go through that? How did they uh, show it over there? That's a good, that's a good question. Um, it, it's been really five, about five years since I've thought about that exercise. Uh, 
but what I recall is it was important to, so we, we sat one from, from another and we selected our partner. We put our hand over the heart of the person across from us and we kept eye contact. And just that very act, keeping the eye contact, keeping the hand over heart, you can feel the person's breathing. And so there's this synchronicity that occurs of, of like joining of organisms and you're breathing and you're there with one another. And I, I think that was another piece. I know that was a piece that helped trust because you get out of your mind, you're in the body more, you know, you're in, you're in each other's bodies in a way, um, syncing with one another's bodies. And with, with a per, you know, with a perfect stranger <laughs> who yeah. becomes family, who becomes family and tribe very quickly. I, and that is, again, it's a dance to go retrospectively and remember or to look back and see how, what was happening versus what I was experiencing. I wasn't aware of all this at the time, the way I'm giving language to it, but that is what was happening. We were synchronizing. And um, what I do know is how I felt. And I felt scared, but safe. And that was, uh, yeah, that was quite a moment. And was there a, uh, did they put like a specific timer, like two minutes, five minutes? How, how long were you able to last? You, you know, they didn't put a timer on it. Okay. Uh, I would, I, I would say that we were, this exercise probably went on for about 15 minutes. Oh, wow. And, uh, and even and there was no talking, you know, you're, you're, you're holding space with each other, hand on heart, breathing, synchronizing your breath and just looking. And I do recall getting instructions of just, just love the person, see yourself and the person across from you. So it's also an exercise in de-othering, right? Yes. Um, yeah, and that, that's also very helpful for that, for the work, because we have these personality structures, you know, our identities that, that we believe are separate, that make us separate. But um, this work would suggest otherwise as you go deeper and deeper into it, deeper and deeper into yourself, so... That's beautiful. Yeah, continue your journey. Wow. Sure. Um, so that was one of the key exercises that I recall leading up to our first ceremony, which happened day on day, or sorry, evening number two. And I'm, I'm going to jump into the, the ceremony um, and kind of just give some backdrop. Um, so you come to the, the maloka, which is the sacred space where you drink the medicine um, that is administered by the ayahuascaros, the shamans. And you show up, we showed up about 45 minutes before taking the medicine and we were instructed to show up uh, quietly. Uh, you know, don't talk. It's about staying inward, staying with your breath, staying with your intention for why you were there. And for me, my intention was to understand and release the depression and anxiety um, and sadness. Really, the, it was at that time, I just called it sadness. This, it was like this cloak of sadness that I was felt over, overwhelmed by. And that's, I wrote it on a piece of paper when I entered the Maloka. In the center of the Maloka, there, there was these beautiful tables with crystals and uh, some candles. And so that we were invited if we like to, to put our intention on the, on the altar. 
and I put my piece of paper with what I wanted to release and that was the sadness. So I was very nervous, but also excited for, you know, for the possibility of healing. I'm gonna take a moment and see if these sirens pass. I don't know if you can hear that or not. Yeah, but it's amazing. I actually love it. And it Perfect. gives me a, a time as well to ask a question. Did you choose your place or did they assign you a place? Yeah, so that was what was cool is you get to choose your spot every night, every ceremony. There was no assigned spot. Um, so you very often were sitting next to new faces and it was instructed that couples sit in opposite parts of the room so as not to be um, distracted by their desire to take care of one another and to stay focused on themselves because that's the work they were there to do. So uh, I was sitting next to many different faces. So I couldn't tell you the ceremony who was next to me, but um, as you'll hear in this ceremony, I feel bad for whoever was next to me. That's <laughs> okay. You'll see why. So, uh, I mean, I don't really feel bad anymore, but I remember at the time. Uh, so the intention was set. Uh, I put my intention on the altar. I went and sat on my mat. And as you know, we have mats. They're like six inches and uh, some pillows and made myself comfortable and just sat breathing and trying to not let my mind get, get the best of me. Cause you know, my mind wants to, my mind doesn't know what's going to happen. So you hear the internal chatter of, Oh my God, I hope, I hope uh, it doesn't taste so bad. I hope, or, you know, hope the ayahuasca doesn't taste too bad. I hope, uh, I hope that I get enough and that I really have a breakthrough. I don't want to keep living in this way. And like, I'm just so many different noise, noises and narratives coming out of the mind. And then that practice that we had done with centering self and staying with your breath came in handy to kind of calm and, and just be still as much as I knew how at the time. And uh, so going forward about 45 minutes in, all but one candle was extinguished and the shamans entered and they blessed the medicine with, uh, with an Ikiros. And then they came, they came to each one of our mats to administer the medicine. Whereas when you and I went to Arcana, we would go up and take, take the dose in front of the shaman. Yeah. Um, but they, uh, they came to, before you continue, uh, did, uh, cause yes, uh, in the other podcast, you were talking about when your ego is ready to die is when you feel almost like suicidal, where you, you, were you at that point, uh, and, beginning of that ceremony so because i want to know if your ego was fighting you to the core or was it really wanted to let go like it was it ready you know what i mean i recall if, if i put myself back in there that place i recall the greatest fight of my ego as far as like trying to protect self yes what was the night before arriving at the center by the time i made it to the center um it was like, I knew the decision was done. I wasn't going back. So I didn't have the conflict. It was now more of just the uncertainty of like, I don't know what to expect. And like being learning how to be okay with that. I don't know what to expect, but I'm here and I'm going to have an experience that's new. Perfect. Um, yeah, that's, I, yeah. Now, now I'm in your shoes. All right, continue. For sure. Um, so the the shamans come around to the in front of our mat and 
they they don't ask you what dose size you want at this at the center they they just the shamans i guess looked at you had an idea of what you needed and then they would give you the medicine <laughs> and i remember uh being told to like you know don't taste it just shoot it back so that's what i did but um you know i it was just so potent and uh almost a, it was like acidic and it was not a pleasant not a pleasant drink and my, can you, in my, yeah, and can you tell uh, how much he gave you about like half a cup, a full cup? So as far as, yeah, I'd say they were using like a six ounce or a four ounce cup. And I think I had a half, half of that. So maybe two ounces, maybe, maybe three ounces right. of uh, ayahuasca. And it was very thick, very, very thick. Um, and for the next 40 minutes, I sat like trying not to throw it back up, to be honest, it was, uh, it made me a bit nauseous. And so I just sat with it. And I mean, as someone who drank a lot for the few years leading up to my ayahuasca trip, um, throwing up from drinking too much alcohol was not a new thing for me. But I got to the point where I'd like, I'm not throwing up, I've decided I'm not vomiting. And like, I could somewhat control that it felt like and so <laughs> here's Here's all my hard work with alcohol paying off. Apparently. <laughs> I was, I was able, able to keep myself from throwing up uh, in that 45 minutes. Um, and then, you know, I, now, now that I'm talking, I do remember who was sitting next to me. Um, I had my buddy, his name's Alan Montfair, and he is from New Zealand. And he was sitting to the right of me and he was having the time of his life. And he's describing the, what he was calling like the, his highest self. And I'd never heard this language until this retreat. And he's like, oh my God, I can see you guys all from, from the higher room. Like, I see you all down here. You're so beautiful. And I was like, I was filling the medicine, but I wasn't gone. Like I wasn't off of my own world or on another plane of existence. And I just remember being like, oh my God, I want whatever that guy has got. Like, I'm not, I'm not getting any of that. <laughs> this guy's having a great time. And uh, so what, it was just. It was, so what were the, the rules when it came to talking? Like, uh, so, yeah. Yeah, we were we were encouraged to be be mindful of your neighbor, uh, because as you get if you're talking or singing or being loud, it can uh, disrupt other people's process. And the reality of that's great advice, and it's good to be mindful. But the reality is, as we journey in and experience certain realities, um, we lose control of that sometimes. Um, we, we lose control of worrying about what others think or other people's processes on this medicine. And now I guess that's the benefit of having a facilitator come over and remind, you know, there was many times on this, on this journey that I was told to please be mindful because apparently I was talking, <laughs> talking too loud. I know Alan was talking too loud, but I thought it was funny. It didn't bother me. Um, so I didn't, so moving through this ceremony, I didn't get any lessons that were apparent in this ceremony. I didn't, I didn't go deep. I didn't go far. So what I did get, I had little fractals come through and I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Oh, this is beautiful, but this is kind of the stuff that I saw in mushrooms. Um, and then I noticed kind of disappointment setting in. It's like, you know, I came all the way down here for, for deep, healing i this I, I don't get all the hype yet so then there there was a second call to come 
where you could request another dose of ayahuasca and there was a cutoff time. So we started at, we took medicine at 8 p.m. And by uh, I think 11 p.m., you could do your last, your last dose or second dose. And I was right, apparently right at the cusp. And I asked the facilitator if I could have another dose. And uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, I can, I can make that happen. So he came over and gave me a second dose. Um, and you know what, that I had an internal dialogue of do I, should I really take a second dose? Like stuff was nasty. It didn't do anything. I, I'm not really impressed <laughs> with, with this experience, but then that other, this is the like, talking to get, talking to different aspects of self, I said, no, you know what? I'm here to do work. I'm taking more. And it wasn't like I need, I'm chasing an experience. It was, this is, if this is medicine um, and this is the work I'm here to do, as long as they're not putting myself at risk toxically, then why not take more? Why not try to go deeper? So I did. And um, I continued to get nauseous. And this time I, I began to purge. So throwing up. Um, and I threw up for the next off and on two hours oh my to the God. point where I was just dry heaving. And um, it felt like, so it felt eventually like there was energy just rolling, like stuck energy snaking out of me. And this is a common description, I guess, for people who, who are purging. You'll hear people say that they purge snakes. They've seen snakes come out of them, that kind of thing. And that can be quite scary or jarring for sure. Um, I didn't get any of that. I didn't have any visual hallucinations on this ceremony. I had um, just the sensation of body release, just completely purging out. And um, I was so exhausted, did so it, exhausted. Did it feel good or was it like puking as if you were drunk? Um, it was nothing like puking, being drunk. It, it did feel, I wouldn't say it felt good. It, it was it was a release, right? It's a catharsis for sure. Um, it felt challenging. It literally felt like I was moving and shedding something within myself. And it was work almost. And I know this is me taking liberties, but it was almost like giving birth to something or release. Like, ah, that's the only thing I can really say. It, there was purpose behind it. Like you felt like I can do this. There's purpose. Let's like you, you were doing work and there's, was there a point like you wanted to give up or you said, Oh yeah. I'm here. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh yeah. Sorry. I mean, Oh yeah. I, I wanted kind of how, how I touched on with my psilocybin experience. It's like, I want out of this. I oh. was more like, when will this stop? Because it was again, a couple hours. Now I was at one point down mom, I was in front of my mat. Matt was in front of his mat. On, <laughs> uh, all fours, just, head over my bucket, dry heaving. Sorry for anyone who's listening to me re reenact my hurling, but um, in, into this bucket, but there's nothing visibly coming out. I just felt I was making way for all kinds of things that I was holding on to just, oh. So that experience lasted until I'd say two in the morning, three in the morning. Um, and I was awake till almost sunrise and just utterly exhausted. And um, if you have questions, go ahead and ask. Otherwise, I'll move. I'll continue to move the storyline along. No, continue. I mean, uh, no, continue. I, I want to, okay. because I feel you, man. I feel you 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the next day, every morning after ceremony, you have, your, you have breakfast and do a flower bath. And the flower bath is about protection and, and good energy. 
and the shamans do this uh, ceremony with each person. Um, it's really beautiful. And then you do um, a group share. So we we meet. We all. It's oh. Great. It was. Wait, wait, wait! You're cutting up, my friend. All oh. right, go. Yeah, go. You can continue. Yeah. I think you're back. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, there was like a, a sharing stick. We each had this beautiful, um, like eagle feather on top of a stick, and whoever held the stick would share what they what their experience was, and. I, I was somewhere in the middle of the Maloka and everybody returns to the place where they sat the night before. Um, sorry, somewhere in the, I was somewhere in the middle of the circle, not the Maloka, but the circle. And uh, I heard people's stories of like, you know, I went to the darkest hell. Um, it was really scary. I, I confronted traumas of, of rape or of, of uh, physical abuse and um, some it wasn't, so you saw again, these, these themes of trauma coming up, um, but then there was also, you know, I, I was speaking with God. I was speaking with the universe angels, entities, and they were like making my, they were upgrading my DNA. Like, this is the language I'm hearing. And I was like, wow, that is insane. I had none of that. And so when, uh, when it came back to, oh, go ahead. No, how did, I, you're probably going to say it. I, I'm so curious. But how did you feel about about that? I'm like, yeah, I had none of that. But was it jealousy? Was it anger? What was it? Tell me. It was. Uh, it wasn't jealousy or anger. It was sadness because I thought, uh oh, if uh, if they got all that and I and I had nothing but me throwing up. Oh wait, you're cutting up again, my friend. Let me pause. Okay. All right, we're back. So I was feeling sadness because um, I thought maybe I can't be helped. Maybe what I'm, maybe what I'm feeling is just the indicator that I'm broken and nothing can really make that better. Um, so I remember sharing this with the group and being encouraged uh, by facilitators um, that, you know what, a lot of people experience what you experienced. And a, very often the first ceremony is a clean out ceremony where ayahuasca wants to work with you, is ready to work with you, but your body is not in a state where it can. So, you, so you're in the clean out stage. And that part of me, wanted, I mean, obviously part of me believed it, but the other part of me was skeptical you know it's like because if if by chance i have to experience that again of me just throwing up for hours straight i don't think i can do it and i was saying this to them and they were so sweet the facilitator his name was easy and he said you know no one's going to force you to to drink um i really encourage you to like you know the ceremony is not till tonight this is in the morning that we're having this conversation and i said okay i'll sit with it um and what, uh, what was your, at this point in your life, uh, your ability to cry, where were you at? Were you able to cry or was it something still that was crazy difficult? I had, I had made a decision in my adolescent years that I would not cry um, for fear of being seen as weak and being, that being reinforced in me through coaches and different mentors in my life. Um, so that was still something that I operated from. I had not 
cried in who knows how many years, probably decade, a decade, I'd say. And during the sharing of uh, with the the stick, were you able to cry at this point, or was it just just pure no, sadness? No, no, okay. crying was not on the table for me at that point. It was everything was internalized as this this sadness that I was okay. carrying. All right. Yeah. Okay. Continue. Yeah. Sure. So, getting the encouragement from Easy, great name by the way, Easy, uh, to hang in there, and that. Him, him normalizing my experience essentially and letting me know that I'm not alone in that. A lot of people experience the clean out and it is very rigorous. And essentially that this is like the warrior work. You know, you showed up, you were courageous, you feel like you're getting beat down. Um, but it's yeah, the whole, it's darkest before the light kind of thing. And so all that was very encouraging. And uh, I literally felt depleted though. I mean, I, I ate breakfast, ate lunch. I didn't really feel like my strength came back to me until mid-afternoon and um it was beautiful so, you know other people who had who were much more well i would say they were further along in their spiritual work just rallied around me and encouraged me um supported me and um we ended up one of them was a yogi named uh, matthew julian uh and he's uh He's a yoga instructor as well. So he, he led me in some yogic breath that helped center me. And then there was a rapé ceremony happening that afternoon, un, un, uh, unorganized by the facilitators. It was rapé that was brought in by some of the participants. And uh, are you familiar with what rapé is, Dom? I do, I do. Uh, because I went to Peru. But uh, yeah. were you uh, aware of rapé at this point? I was, no, all this is new to me. So um I thought, well, at the very least, I'll watch. And I, it's beautiful to be a part of this ceremony, but I'll, you know, I'm, I'm decided if I'll take it. And that was what's so cool about these spaces is there was not pressure to do it. It was just like, yeah, feel free to sit and, and support and, and love and be here. So was I watched it. The, as, uh, was it the liquid rape or the powdered? It was the tobacco powder. Okay. So they had the, the long wooden... Uh, it looks like a flute, right? And yeah. they place it up your nose and another person blows the powder up into your, to your nose. Um, Before you I watched, continue, sorry, I, yeah. I've got so many questions. Uh, sure. How did you feel about meant to be at this point? Like, is that, some, yeah, is that something that, uh, Wes, that you kind of, had in your because I know like when you look for spirituality you look for the self you try to you when you find a little bit of this higher power you kind of turn to oh wow it seems like there's so many coincidences that it can't just be coincidence or you know did you ever experience that because I I'm trying to really get into how you felt at this point I was not aware of synchronicity um, at this point I was not thinking in terms of meant to be or acknowledging the support around me um, as meant to be, I guess. It would, specifically at this point, I'm feeling depleted and uh, uncertain, even more so. Uh, but, but simultaneously watching a beautiful community. Uh, yeah, all right, perfect. You know, yeah. Of, of support for one another. So, um, 
the so the rape the rape ceremony I watched as people people um, you know inhaled this 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 snuff essentially this tobacco and their their reaction was not very encouraging you know like <laughs> they're, they're kind of coughing and blowing their nose and black stuff is coming out on the the tissue um, and then and then a couple minutes pass and you see like the response is positive like even though their eyes they're teared up there's black tobacco on their kleenex um they're you know they were reporting feelings of uh ecstasy and peace and uh and i was like well what the hell i'm here i'll i will try it after all i think there were six different people before me that did it and none of them died so that was worth it to me <laughs> i'm gonna give it a go um and you know, I, they they placed the little pipe in my nose, and I just kind of braced myself for it. And when they blew that tobacco up my nose, it was kind of like a two second gap period of this thing that happened, and then a burning sensation that was going on in my my head. But then it started to travel down through my throat into my chest, and just like this vibration that filled my entire body. And it was like the, uh, you know, the singing bowls or they're like, boom, boom, yeah, boom, yeah, yeah. boom. And it was just permeating throughout my chest to where it got to be too much. And there was, I, I heard, I heard a pop in my chest. And for a moment I thought something broke, but I, but I like did a quick check and I was like, no, no, nothing. But I feel amazing. I feel so good. And I'm, and I'm not filtering any of this. This is actually what I'm saying to the group. And there's, you know, big smiles and the, yes, this is, this is a heart opening medicine. It's very heart opening. And uh, I felt so good after that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I was still apprehensive going into ceremony, but it was, uh, I wasn't depleted. And, and I felt, I just felt more connected in some way to self, more connected to, to this group of people who had uh, supported me and encouraged me to have this experience with them. Um, and, and that, I had no idea that tobacco could have that effect. I'd always, you know, I, I thought of tobacco, chewing tobacco, smoking tobacco, um, a negative, a negative effect, not a, not a ceremonial one. So. That's crazy. So I feel like that's really important as well. Like the knowledge that when you're messed up, when you create trauma in your body, it's actually physical. And when you go through spiritual experiences, often you're going to get physical uh, results, you know, like a pop here, like you said, in your heart, like there was actually something blocking the heart and you, you heard this pop. That's crazy. Have you, that, that's amazing. And the other thing is, did you know that tobacco was a master plant at that time? I did not. And I did, I had not heard the term master plant, teacher plant. This, this language was uh, foreign to me. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's not an, it's not anymore though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and so this is a great, ex this is a, an example of how I had a, an experience that now informed my uh, language. And so when I, when you, when you use the language teacher plant, master plant, I would, you know, I would have said, wow, yes, this, that, that's fitting. Like I've never had a plant open my heart and I've never, I've never felt such a physical shift in such a short amount of time without a negative uh, effect. Like the next day I didn't feel, I didn't feel any like hangover from it. Right. Um, I, I felt if anything, like my awareness was sharper after this result or after this result, after this ceremony with rapid, excuse me. That's okay. 
So going into the evening, like there was this excitement for me because I, I, I'd already felt relief. It's almost like there was this pressure that had been built up and it was the normal in me, right? That anxiety. And someone, something had opened a valve and, and dissipated it. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. This, this had a real effect with real change in a very short amount of time. Uh, and there's no arguing for me short term. That felt great, right? So going into the ceremony that night, my intention was the same. You know, I, I'm, the sadness, this cloak of sadness, I want to release this. I, I, I want to know, like, is this me? Am I really just broken? Or are there experiences along the way that have shaped this in me? Can I be redeemed? Can I be resolved in some way to be whole again? And so that was the intention. And, you know, we showed up to the Maloka, same, same setup. There's candles in the ceremonial um, altar at the, at the center. The shamans blessed the medicine. And this time they gave me, I'd say about three quarters of the cup of medicine. And for some reason, I decided to start like singing, chanting very, very low key as they sung the opening Ikiros. And uh, I recall my neighbor being a little agitated and I don't blame her because the idea is you're supposed to be quiet and let um, respect the process of everybody else. Um, do you remember where the singing came from? Was it only in your throat or did you feel it from the center of your heart? Or if you can even remember, really. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, recalling how, how it felt. I, I remember singing as a way to move about things, the nervousness and apprehension that I felt going into the ceremony. So that was where it was coming from as like a way to resolve and move, move, move that energy around that angst that I was feeling. Um, and that concept and it, of energy, I know that it's because you had read that book before. So you kind of had that and plus the rape maybe, or the mushroom. What was the, is there something that made it so that you kind of felt like energies were real other than like, I, I want to know more about that. Yeah, the, the def, definitely the, literature that I had been reading the years previously shifted and informed my language to where it felt more true for me to say energy because everything is energy, not just, not just in a woo-woo sense. We, we know even science won't, the scientific method, the scientific method, empirical science won't argue this, that everything is energy and the law of conservation things, things recycle and take new, take different forms, but it's all the same. I get molecules. It. So it was it was so, easier to accept because science was actually backing it up, <laughs> like society. Well, it, it that, that that affirmed that language, but I I it just sat better with me than um, I guess my Christian language of like uh, I'm trying to think what what I would have liked. Yeah, I I don't even recall the language I used before saying energy. I think I just called everything like. I, I divided everything up, right? God and the, the world, the corporeal world. And there's this separation. Energy was like the first step towards interconnectedness. If everything's energy, then well, there's differentiation in form, it's the, the same thing, or it's like the same alphabet, but different words, right? It rearranges in different letters, but it's the same alphabet. So 
Um, so yeah, like, uh, yeah, no, it's, I think what you're trying to say is like, uh, because, well, to me anyways, is uh, energy is your feelings at this point, like, you know, going into this ceremony, like you, your feelings are that energy, whatever you're feeling, presence kind of thing, that's what you were trying to move with your singing. What I was trying to dissipate or address and move was the angst I felt, the, the knowing, knowing that I didn't know where I was going, right. right, with this ceremony, where ayahuasca would take me. Also, the angst of, will I have another uh, four to six hour ceremony of me just throwing up? All that apprehension was there. So the singing was to address the, uh, the fear and uncertainty. And where did and, you feel that fear and uncertainty inside of your body? Is there a specific place? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, good question. I felt that in my in my gut, and I, I even now I carry stress when I get when I'm holding on to tension. I hold a lot of it in my lower abdomen. Right, right. Okay, good. Sure. Yeah, good questioning. Um, so we we take the the sacrament, the medicine, and about twenty minutes in, my, my mind's doing the mind things. And the mind things in this case are, did we, did we drink enough? Hmm, that, that was really gross. Even if we didn't drink enough, are we, are we gonna wanna ask for a second dose? Like going through the dance, right? And, uh, and then like remind, then my, reminding myself, just breathe, stay with the breath. And then my mind chiming in, has it, been, has it been long enough? Has it been 30 minutes? Usually they said 40 minutes. And then that just stay with the breath. Just, and it, it was funny because I remember the shaman singing and there was like this shift, this shift of awareness from my mind going, did we take enough? Are we there yet? Do we need more to, why does the jungle sound like it's inside of the maloka? And <laughs> the, the sound of insects, the sound of animals, it, it wasn't just that it's background noise. Suddenly the outside was inside. It was so, loud but not not in a painful way it was just right there and my mind went oh we're not in kansas anymore we're <laughs> we're, we're 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 feeling the effects of this medicine and as my mind like identified that i started to whirl downwards like unwind untangle so i had this when i closed my eyes a lot of this my eyes were just closed i i had this red and blue vort uh, not vortex, helix, unwinding. And many people report seeing DNA and it could have been DNA, but I just, I saw this like untangling, untangling. And as I followed it down, getting more and more immersed into this uh, helix, I, I lost awareness of the Maloka in the outside world. Um, so you break through, you, and were you still humming or singing at this point or you had kind of dropped that as soon as? It was as if the songs of the shaman, the Ikiros, were guiding me, leading me down to these, well, we'll call it DNA for now, I guess. Sure. They were leading me down this helix. And as I went down the helix, um, the Ikiros became more all-encompassing, like, like the, the sounds and notes and cadence of each of the uh, yeah, of their song was reality suddenly. It was making my reality. It was shaping my reality. So there was no awareness of the jungle. There was no awareness of 
Matthew, there's no awareness of um, the shamans in the room except for their song. And uh, yeah, it was really, really uh, quite an experience at that point. And, and there was no mind going, wait, what is this? It was as if the song was me and it had overridden that part of self that wants to control or make sure we're safe. There was no concern of safety anymore. So that's so amazing I, when you're full of angst. It's such a beautiful process that you're explaining. Wow. Yeah. That, and all of that dissipated or all, that became not even background noise. Like the only reality was the song, the song that was being sung. And, and, and I saw shapes that were like, it's almost as if the song took on form or shapes. So that's what I mean by the song became my reality. Magic. Um, yeah, magic. That's, that is the word I used a lot, especially early on after this experience. I was like, man, magic is real. <laughs> this is magical. Uh, so I also, I, th this is where I'll say I lost all sense of uh, any linear story. I couldn't tell you what happened in what order, but I can, from here, I can share different experiences that happened along this ceremony i just don't know the order that they oh, unfolded. please you, oh, doesn't matter yeah. it doesn't matter yeah so there was a there was a moment in my ceremony where I, I my body was just releasing so much right and and it was in the form of laughter right so i was just drunk with laughter and it brought me it brought me out of the the, the songs and, and brought brought my awareness back to the Maloka and I was enraptured and, and apparently I was laughing so loud that uh, I was disrupting <laughs> the ceremony and I, I could hear other people start to laugh, right? It was like one of those contagious things. It ripples yeah. throughout the whole Maloka. And so the facilitator came over as I'm like, la so I did cry, but it was from laughter. I'm laughing so hard. Tears are streaming down my face as my body's just releasing all this pain and energy that I've held on to. And it's like ayahuasca's got this huge feather and she's just tickling me all over. <laughs> and, and the facilitator says, hey, Matthew, we're going to take you to the, the back room. They had a back room where people could rest, you know, if, if, there's, if their journey was getting to be too much or they just needed some separation from the, from the music, from the people. But in this case, I, I wasn't being asked, really. They just need, they needed to move me out of the ceremony because it was, it was such a loud uh, But laughter. It's funny how, because to me, I, what I'm seeing is that because of your inability or your blockages of crying, it had to come out somehow. And it came out in a form of laughter, which is so amazing. But the problem is, is that laughter is so contagious compared to if you hear somebody puking beside you, you're not going to be, well, maybe, but, uh, or if you hear somebody cry, uh, well, maybe as well, but laughter is, is a lot more contagious than the two previous Uh, one that I just, you know, puking or crying. So I, yeah. I understand that it's so wise to just like, yeah, you need to go through this. Let's move you. And how did you feel about that when, when they took you to that other room? Oh, I was, I, yeah, it's a good, <laughs> I thought, it, I thought it was all fun. I mean, I was in no place. I wasn't even arguing really. I, I didn't realize I didn't have my head about me. So when they said, Hey, we're going to move you to the back. I, I, I thought they were asking me like, Hey, do you want to go to the back? And I was like, no, no, I'm good right here. I'm loving this. This is great. And then they're like, Oh no, no, we have to take you to the back because it's, it's disrupting other people's yeah, ceremonies. Like, oh, okay. And like, I have no concept of volume control or other people. 
So I'm, I'm sure I was being very loud and my laughter and my talking, but it took three facilitators to pick me up and carry me across the Maloka to this back room and I'm laughing the whole way. And I can hear people behind me laughing too, which encouraged me to laugh even more. And uh, so I, I didn't spend too much time in that back room and uh, the, the medicine, we were going pretty deep. So I was ebbing and flowing in and out of, of uh, being in, aware of the Maloka and being often other realms and different spaces. So that was a, but like the laughter though, like it was a form of healing. Like it was just not laughter to laugh. Like you could feel stuff that was getting processed inside that laughter. Absolutely. Yes. It was uh, very healing. Very, it was so releasing cathartic. Um, Almost crying, laughing, right? You're crying. You're laughing so much. You're crying at this point. Exactly. I was laughing so hard, tears were coming down. And I, yeah, it was like one of those things where you, I, I would turn over because I'm already laying down. I'm like doubled over on my side laughing so hard. And uh, yeah, it, it is a very physical experience at times. And that's to your point, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't permitting myself to cry. So that release had to come out another way. And uh it was a very enjoyable way. I, I still, I can feel, feel that in my body. And like, it makes me laugh. It makes me smile. It was so beautiful. And it speaks also to the way ayahuasca will work with you. She's, she can be very soft. She can be very playful and she can also be harsh, just like a, a mother needs to be at times with you. And while you were laughing and you were coming in and out of uh, seeing with your eyes open the Maloka or that room now, when you would close your eyes, you would go back uh, into like crisp hallucination of, would you see a little bit of what you were processing or was just just random hieroglyphic? Like, I want to know more about that. You're saying when when I was having the laugh, the laughter release, was I getting uh, visuals? Yeah, like when you would close your eyes, would, would you get visuals? And when your eyes would open, did you have visuals as well? Like how, yeah. Yeah, there, it ebbed and flowed during that, during that time. So I, what had brought me into that fit of laughter, I couldn't tell you what the imagery was. I know there was imagery. I think that's what kind of made me laugh is like, it's almost like ayahuasca told me a joke through imagery and it got me to start laughing. And it's like, once I was laughing, she just started like tickling me. I mean, I'm trying to give you a metaphor here of what was going on, but yeah, yeah, yeah. there wasn't a specific storyline unfolding at that point. I think it was in the same way that I was throwing up to purge and make room for her to work with me and heal me. This laughter was another degree of that, right? She was making room, helping me make room, make space for the, the healing so we could get to the areas of trauma within me that, that I wasn't connected to that I had overlooked. So it was more, more of clearing space within self. What Um, a contrast (laughs) puking and laughter. Wow. All right. Yes. (laughs) Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. And it's, it also kind of like talk about the love and grace of ayahuasca with, uh, you know, the first, the first ceremony just throwing up, feeling exhausted. Like, I don't know if I really want to do this and then getting the support and courage of my tribe and my, the facilitators and, um, the support of Rappe opening heart. And then suddenly I'm having, I'm still having a cathartic release, but it's laughter. It's, it's joyful. It's fun. So, and it's the complete opposite experience. 
So that brings me to the, to the question of, do you feel like that first night, because you had like your internal struggles, you had the trip that you had, or was it, and then on the second trip, you know, going into it, you felt a lot more light, you just had rape. Is your state of mind an influencer, you think, or is it fully madre that's controlling the show here? Do you think that you have a part to play? Like for anybody that would go, how is your mindset going in? Do you think that it played a part or is just a journey and you're, you're there for the ride? So you're asking me if I think the uh, state of mind has an influence on the experience of, your, of the journey? Yes. Uh, yes, um, there, absolutely. Okay. Uh, in short, yes, I would... I'm not saying that you can manipulate your journey by by changing the dials of your state of mind. I'm just saying that like um, each of each of these experience, each of these experiences and ceremonies have an impact of your on your state of mind and state of being. And as you'll hear, and as you're hearing in this re recount or reaccount of my ceremony, the first experience, first ceremony was so different. Than the second one, um, and my state of mind was different. The so yeah, I'm I'm trying I'm trying to elaborate more, but I'm realizing, in short, yeah, I I think your state of mind has an effect on the journey. I don't think it controls the journey. I just no, think I, yeah, I hear you a hundred percent, and uh, I've have I have that same impression, but I wanted to know from your point of view because hey, the contrast is so huge, like it. It's kind of like, and I'm and now I'm really curious about your third and your fourth ceremony, but uh, yeah, continue your journey if you have more to say because that is oh, amazing. Yeah, there's we're just scratching the surface. This this ceremony that we're that I'm recalling right now was the most profound one. Um, oh, good I, to me. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, it was the most profound for me. So you're in that the, room. You're you're laughing. Well, Oh, so no. So I, as I said, being in the back room, I didn't stay there long. Eventually, I came back out with some assistance and laid back down on my mat and let the just kind of sunk back into my body. And I, and I noticed it felt felt good to be in my body, something I hadn't noticed before, you know, being someone who was always disassociating, wanting to be out of this experience. Um, it felt good to be in my body. So I just breathed and sunk into my body and I noticed the music was taking me, the song of the songs of the shaman were taking me inward again. And I just let it, there was no concern. I knew that I was safe. I was in good hands. And so the ability to surrender was, was felt very easy. Um, Did, which song were you more attracted to the female song or the male song or both were? No, there was, song? yeah. Sorry, I realize I'm, I jump at no, 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 podcast no. format. I go uh, too quick. Of course not. Of course, um, you're not. You're doing perfect. It's me. I feel like that it does got so much curiosity that I'm interrupting your flow. So don't feel bad. It's me that feels bad. <laughs> I, I don't recall feeling more drawn to the male Ikeros or the female Ikeros. They were so um, interwoven beautifully. Okay. okay, okay. And I will say, so where the medicine took me next it was deeper within and that does not do justice for me to say deeper within, but we're going inward. So my eyes are now closed and I'm listening to the Ikeros. And once again, 
it, the Kuros are starting to take on a world, like giving shape to a world to where I'm not interested in what's going on in the Maloka. I'm not even aware of the Maloka anymore for, and then, but I, but I, but I become, I become aware that I'm not aware of the Maloka, which sounds funny. And in doing that, I open my eyes and, and then everyone's kind of sitting still on their mat, sitting, sitting still. And the, even the shaman, they're not singing. It's almost like me opening my eyes, stop the singing. And I can hear a plane in the distance coming over the Maloka. And that, that wasn't anything odd because we were only, the retreat center is only like 40 minutes by scooter to the airport. And uh, I can hear this. So you'd hear planes throughout the day going over the, the retreat center. So this plane's going over, but instead of staying distant and going by, it's getting closer and closer. And I thought, oh man, this is kind of odd. Usually it's not so close. It sounds like it's flying really low. And as I'm having this thought, this plane gets roaring, roaring loud. And it's almost like it hits the Maloka and the whole Maloka shakes. And my mind's not doing any like, well, this is weird. It's just like, it's almost like being in a dream state that you don't question. And the Maloka shakes and I, I start to shrink and I, and I have this God-like awareness and I can see each person in the Maloka begin to shrink almost like to be, to being like a B size, like really small. And we start to do the helix, like the double helix swirl really, really fast. And I'm getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And as I'm, as I'm questioning, like, whoa, what, like, what is this? Where are we going? It, it was so alien to me. I, I thought I was having an alien abduction. No joke. I really did. But there was no fear. It was just like, well, I guess I've always known there was a higher intelligence. We're going home. <laughs> wow. and, and we get, so we get wrapped up into this helix and it just pulls us up into a higher, higher reality, I guess, or a spaceship. If, if, like at the, at the time I called it a spaceship. It really felt like I was being pulled up into a spaceship and that's where the journey takes off. You know, we, I leave, I leave the Maloka and in, to my mind, this is all absolutely happening. The way I'm drinking, like right now I've got a cup of coffee in front of me and sipping on it. It was as real, if not more real than the cup of coffee and the laptop and you and me talking. Is it um, you or everybody? Like, cause you were saying everybody was shrinking. So as like, you felt like the entire Maloka and you went, well, I mean the participant and you, or at this point, like uh, it was it all of you or just you? It was all of us. That's, of that's us. why, yeah, it was. And I remember real time, like, you know, you know, how thoughts happen so quick and there's no, there's not like you're checking your thoughts. The thought that came, the narrative that came out was this Maloka is like a ancient site for aliens to come and suck you up or something, because this is ha like, all this is just happening real time in my mind. Like I've always known there's a higher intelligence and I'm about to meet this higher intelligence. And, uh, I wasn't wrong. There is a higher intelligence, but it wasn't necessarily aliens. <laughs> it was just funny how the mind needs to make sense and how to add a narrative to it. So well, what did you uh, mean? Like, did you mean like higher intelligence as if there is a God or higher intelligence as if uh, you're talking about alien slash spirits? What do you mean by that? Yeah. Um, at that, in that moment, it was, I was using the language God. I'm going to meet God. I'm going to meet the okay. beginning of it all. And uh, what turns out is that I'm I, along this path, as I get sucked up into this uh, higher realm of consciousness, um, I'm, I'm 
I'm met by entities, uh, spirits or angels or there wasn't a, there wasn't like they introduced themselves. Hi, I'm a higher intelligence or hi, I'm an angel. Yeah. <laughs> it just became very, it became very apparent that um, I, that I was there to develop my consciousness and that they were in agreement to, to work on my consciousness as long as I let them. And by consciousness, it's, this is a slippery slope with language. And this is why these experiences can be really, um, uh, challenging to navigate accurately with words because the there's no lexicon that really uh pins it so i'll do my best um, yeah, and it's only in hindsight like for you at this point entities you don't care they're angels you don't care if they're aliens like you saw them as entities that are here to develop your consciousness or awareness and to do some work basically and you don't really question you're in a dream state everything makes sense you're supposed to be there, you know, even like a, a higher consciousness, you know, God, aliens, you're not even thinking about that. You're just, you know, that's, or yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. yeah it, I'm not questioning it, it in this. So in the, actually, I do need to say this as I'm going up and we'll just call it the spaceship as I'm going up into the spaceship, there is a moment where I think, what about my family? I'm leaving earth right? Because again, this is a very real experience. I'm leaving earth. I'm not coming back. I'm like, this is what I was on, on some level. It's, there was a knowingness that I had predetermined to have this experience of ayahuasca to work with, with the master teacher, that she was one of my life teachers. All this was like instantly known, which brought complete uh, rest within me. There was no angst, but the question, one of love for my brother, my sisters, my parents, and friends. And I started to name them. What about Michael? What about Amanda? What about my, my parents, Joe and Cindy, Liz, and so on and so forth. And instantly, not in words, it's just imagery that's so rich with meaning. It was all as well. They are, they are well, they are okay. You're okay. Let go and let in letting go complete trust. And in that letting go, it was almost like being made lighter and shooting up into again, higher realms. Um, of, of awareness and uh, consciousness and love. So as we, as we ascend, as I ascend now, my, my awareness is moving away from the Moloka, moving away from Matthew, that identity. And I, I get this vantage point where I can see these massive uh, forms of, of life, I guess, of energy in their they are making me even more compact. It's like they take my, my awareness and they start to mold it into a brain, into, a, into one compact sphere. And I see this other being grab like an anvil and start to smash and like shape my awareness. And it was, it was just, I mean, you can't script this stuff. I've never seen anything like it in a movie or read it in a book. Um, so there's no imprint on my psyche that says, Oh yeah, I, I can trace this back to, I just watched some weird movie that left this impact. Um, and what were you I'm feeling sorry. at the time? Like as he's smashing your anvil, are you in a state of bliss? Are you just, because uh, I know like when, well, no, tell me actually. Yeah, yeah I was in a state of absolute gratitude. Gratitude, gratitude. there yeah. you go. It was, so there's a, there's a, a saying by William Blake 
who was an English poet, he said, when the doors of perception are cleansed, then you'll see things how they are infinite. And I was seeing things more clearly than ever. And I saw infinity. I saw the place that we are within infinity, which sounds funny to me as I'm saying it, but that brought so much gratitude and it made the suffering and the sadness that I had so identified with minuscule. And it's, it's like when you're so zoomed in, you can't see anything else, right? And so this experience is zooming me out, zooming me way out. And suddenly I'm seeing all the support of different soul beings who are always in support of our, of our development. And as there's, as there's, you know, hitting my awareness with this anvil and, and shaping my consciousness, the gratitude is pouring out of me because I had, there's this understanding of you are in development, have grace for yourself. You don't know enough. Like what you know is what you know, and that's okay. And in that moment, it's like this sudden flashback of all the narratives of self-hatred, self-defeat. At every hit, we're kind of showing yeah. you a new thing. Did these entities have form? They had, they had a shape to them. Yeah. They looked like, I mean, they looked no face. There was no face that I can recall. They looked like massive, um, they had arms and legs and a head, but I couldn't, I could not recall the shape. And there was almost like an avatar glow to them, you know, like the blue avatars from the movie yeah. Avatar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was elements of that uh, luminescence to them, but I couldn't put a face to it. And I wasn't even trying to really. Yeah. I was yeah. just receiving. Just and they were receiving. bigger than you, like way bigger. Massive. massive. I mean, they're holding me. They're holding me in their the palm of their hands. Wow. The thing that I think I am, right? And and it was, yeah. I, I don't pretend to know who and what they are. Like I won't put a form a, a word to them. So it's easy just to say entities or yeah, higher no. beings of some uh, kind. I'm just trying to pick your your brain as what you are seeing because the experience itself, I'm guessing, is ineffable. But I'm glad that like you know that you're feeling grateful uh the other thing i wanted to know is like were you able to see your traumas and yes at every hit you could see like you know you know this is being what healed or shaped or uh like That's you could right. see a new awareness about them but yeah. like in an epic level epic, yeah yeah they uh it wasn't so the way you and I speak, right? The way we exchange information through words is so slow, so slow and tedious. Um, and it's fine. That's part of our experience in this human form. At this level, it was, I was so fluid, instantaneously known. Things are known, like knowledge is shared instantaneously. So part of the suffering that we experience is not knowing. Well, that's why there's no suffering in these realms. You know it all. It's so, I mean, you, you know, as soon as you can start to ask a question, it's there. So it, 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 it takes the suffering out of it. Um, as far as my understanding goes, and all this is coming back to me right now. It's really fascinating, by the way. I feel like I'm getting a download as we're having our, our chat. It's beautiful. Well, tell me about um, it. Well, that's, that's me saying that what I just shared with you was downloaded like just now as I'm like, oh, wow, we know because the reason there's no suffering in that, in that right. realm of, and being is because there's nothing kept from us. And like, there's nothing that we keep from ourselves. This, us being in the human form is about specific karmic lessons, right? Our dharma. Right. Um, so we, we limit ourselves purposefully to have this experience. 
um, for where we are in our development. It's and all I, about that. Yeah. Yeah. And as well, like it, it's not that you know it all. I, is it where you're, you're mostly like a, you're like a, a siphon, you're like a filter and whatever your intention or your thoughts, or your awareness falls on, you know it, but it's not like you are uh, omnipotent, you know, it's uh, that's know right. I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautifully said. Yeah. There was, no, there, there was, it, it was obvious to me that I was, that I didn't know at all, that I'm not God with a big G, so to say, right. That I'm, that the me that is speaking to you and experiencing itself is limited is not the source uh, it's like i'm like a wave in the ocean to use the pantheistic analogy we all are waves of the ocean um so going back to this moment i also recall as they're working on me and, and again i don't remember the linear events and this and this might have happened before the anvil and shaping of consciousness or after totally but i also fine. remember i remember my shape changing so I, I changed from like a solid fixed form to this liquid fluid, fluid uh, substance that was just like moving through realms. And like, I could go down, I was like cascading water falling through um, Maloka uh, altars, like different altars. And as I went through these altars, I was being uh, upgraded. So to say, I was being, I was being touched by true knowledge, not, intellectual knowledge, not, not things you just find in books. The books talk about it, but an, I was being gifted a knowingness of our nature, that we are divine, that we are love, and that we've always been and will always be, and so much more. I mean, this is doing my best to, re, to recall yeah. what and, was coming through. And I kind of see it like as uh, you have wisdom where you kind of know like like the 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 scripture you know the text you you know you understand the logic behind it and then you have knowledge when you you experience what you're what you're explaining right now like you know yes, it there's yes. no way to go around it wisdom wisdom is informed through experience and this experience definitely was like swimming through uh, a river of knowledge in yeah what did the uh, yeah. altar look like? Altars. It was also, yeah, they were they were also very luminescent, like those um, bright pinks and blues and purples that you again would see characteristic in like the Avatar movies. There was just a lot of what's what's the shade or like gradient, neon like neon colors. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> Yeah, it was really cool. Uh, so as I'm being, as I'm moving through these realms and in states of awareness, I find that I keep saying thank you. It's not, and it's not my, I'm not intellectualizing like I need to say thank you to these people and, or to these beings. And I really need to be thankful. It was just pouring out of me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And as I say, thank you. I start to move up through other realms. It's like, as soon as I, it's almost like gratitude was the, the currency or if you will, to like move through different areas of existence. <laughs> um, and then I remember at one point coming out of that place, opening my eyes and being in the Maloka again. And one of the, one of the gals next to me was like, you were so humble. You keep saying, thank you. And, was, and, and my mind was like, wait, weren't you there too? Didn't you see what I saw? 
and that was the like took me some time to realize I had an experience that not everyone else was sharing right I, I thought for the first few days that we all had had the same experience that we had all gone through the spaceship that we had made this soul agreement so it it was kind of discombobulating to my to my mind right trying to like the little ticker tape trying to make sense of everything so does that mean that as you were being anviled and as you were being turned into water were you able to see your your co your your team members uh kind of going through the same process with different entities or at, at one point it was just you and those like a yeah no i was i was not yeah that's a good question i was not aware of uh I not I did not see or maybe and I was not made aware of uh, the other participants going okay. going through the same experience. The the reason that was stuck in my mind that they were going through a, a similar experience is because we all shrunk. Right. We all went up into the spaceship, and then I just thought, you know, yeah. now I'm really focused on my experience. That's really that's why I'm so zoomed in. This is important for me to be here. So. Because I'm really curious about that. Uh, I mean, I, I want to continue with your story. I just, uh, and I'm, yeah, so I'm just going to say it because I'm curious about that. Is, uh, is there, like, is there a possibility to do work for others under the influence of the medicine? And don't give me any uh, hints if ever you've done that in the future. I, I'm just like, it's something I'm throwing out there because I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a really good question. And I'm, you know what? That's, I'm, I'm going to answer your question because it's not something I've experienced, at least okay. not cognizantly. Okay, okay. Um, I would suspect it is though, because that's what shamans are doing, essentially, right? But, they, they drink a small amount of medicine and they're doing work. They are the bridge between worlds. So they're doing work but sometimes, with our souls. Sometimes I'm wondering if they're just, like you said, a bridge where like through their song, they were able to send you towards those entities, but then they can't follow you, right? They're not they're a bridge. They're not the one actually doing the anvil or doing the, uh, oh, change, I see. you know, changing you into water and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, yeah. and maybe, I mean, I have no idea. I'm just, uh, in your experience right now, it seemed like they were a, a bridge. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, that kind of, that was not made evident to me and it's not, it wasn't a question that concerned me. Uh, but that is an interesting one. I would be, I feel like that's actually a question you could even pose at the next time you find yourself in Peru, which I believe right. you're going to be yes. going again, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You, I would pose that question um, to the shaman. That'd be really interesting to hear what, what their response is. Right. Yeah. So tell me more about like, so sure. now you're, you woke up your eyes and the, the lady beside you or the woman beside you are saying, you are so grateful. Yeah, she was saying, you're so humble. You're so humble. And my mind is like, wait, what? No humble and then and then like I, I just remember waking up into that and and then going back inside there was this constant ebb and flow of being in the maloka being aware of the maloka being aware of that i'm at a like i'm in a ritualistic setting healing setting and then going deep back within and traveling far um another this is all one ceremony by the way um, i know and, it, and I, I gotta felt, pause you sorry uh is your is your body uh on autopilot so are you lying down or are you like sitting in the perfect form of like a yogi uh lotus position what is your body doing <laughs> no there was nothing perfect or yogic <laughs> yogi about me on this ceremony well i guess everything was perfect because i was as i was right is as i am 
But as far as uh, the like lotus position, sitting, having any kind of stoic or peaceful, no, I was actually, I was, there was times where I was crawling around the Maloka because you're, you're having, so though I'm having an internal experience, I'm still connected to the body. And I guess there was times where I like crawled over into, onto other people's mats okay. and I wasn't the only one. Um, and I remember putting my hands on the shaman's face. I put my hands on because I was trying to ground myself apparently. And the shaman was, you know, he just kept singing and holding that space. So beautiful. Um, so no, I, I, so that's, no, a, I that's say, important to hear because I mean, just for my sake, I mean, when I, I, I just going to throw a little bit of my experience in there is like when you see other people kind of doing those behaviors, you're wondering what the hell is going on. So were you aware that you were crawling or like at this point, like when you tell me about the anvil part, you were ebb and flow. Sometimes you would come back to the Moloka and you would find yourself trying to ground yourself or was that totally unaware? No, uh, like, that was, uh, sorry, I've just realized I got to give some space between talking. So unaware i was not there was not a narrative of i'm reaching out to this person because i need to ground i realized though that that's what my body was doing it was because there was you're i was in such a fluid space um there my mind had no idea of what's real anymore is right. the maloka real is this per, is there something concrete here or is the souls who are smashing my consciousness with an anvil is that more real And it wasn't even like, again, the way these questions were flowing were so quick. There was no time. There's no self-reflection. It was just like rapid fire. And my, my awake state of consciousness had no context for what was going on. So there was no grounding into something, right? It was so new. Talk about being a child again. You know? Right. And it's um, only after the fact that you can kind of remember, oh yeah, I did that. Oh shit. You know, or like you, you could remember what your body did after the experience. I, I pieced some things together. Nobody told me, Hey, you were crawling around this. Um, my friend who I mentioned earlier in this podcast, uh, Matt Julian, he, so the Yogi, fantastic guy. Um, I interrupted his process and I had, I, I don't know if my eyes are actually open or closed, but I didn't realize it was him. I, I was seeing this, I was seeing these like um, Neolithic kind of Neanderthal beings and turned out he was one of them. <laughs> and, I, and I reached out and put my hands it, because in, in my vision or in, in this experience, I, I felt like that touching that being was healing because I, as I'm going around, I'm being downloaded. I'm being supported in all kinds of love and knowledge And so I reached out to this, what I thought was an entity, and it turned out to be Matt. And uh, I, <laughs> poor guy, I put my hands like right on his face and uh, he didn't react. Uh, so the next day he told me, hey, bro, you totally uh, were all up in my space. And he wasn't rude about it. He was just like, hey, don't worry about it. It's all good. It's, you know, part of the journey, you know, lots of love. And, uh, right. you know, I had, I had moments of feeling bad about it. But at the same time, that is what I, you know, oh. that is where I was and that's what I am. And so to your point, if, if any of the listeners are going to have their first time experience in a ceremonial space, uh, it, 
there are, you'll witness this, this kind of behavior sometimes, people having a lack of awareness of their physical body and being, you know, and, and it could all be- All over the place, yeah. All over the place, or even unaware of what's coming out of their mouth as, you, as we all witnessed with one of the participants at our Peruvian uh, center, remember? Yeah, yeah. Even, uh, was... even from a posterior, you never know what's gonna come out. <laughs> <You know? laughs> <laughs> never trust an ayahuasca part, that's, that's right. right. Okay, I want to take you back to that journey. I, I, sorry for taking you out uh, and making you oh, think of your body. I, I want to go back in there. That's all good. I actually suspect there will come a time, whether it's through psychedelics or meditation, where you can journey and still be aware of the body. Um, so, um, so going back into the to the ceremony, um, the anvil becoming water. And then the gratefulness from the lady when you the were gratitude. Your, yeah. Yeah. The gratitude. Then there were, man, there, it was the guiding, the constant guidance throughout the ritualistic ceremony was this Ikiro song. It's like when you, when, anytime I started to like feel like I was all over the place, as soon as I listened to their song, it was like being called back to, to center, to centeredness, call, being called back to more, to looking at, to looking at the traumas or looking at the areas of self that are ready to heal and, and be worked on. And so the shamans were a continual lighthouse on this trip, if you will. And so I remember keying back into their song, tune, being attuned and tuning into it. And the, the their song started to become, it's not started, their song was like a direct uh, beam of healing, so to say. I felt their music in my veins, in my DNA, like all throughout me to where like everything that was vibrating. So like a big wave and I lost sense of Matthew again. I lost sense of a, of a, of a personal experience and was becoming, was, I was the Ikiros. I was every note and, and, um, was it still sounds, gratefulness? Oh, like, Absolutely. It was gratitude. I will say gratitude was often present. Like I, each, each of these moments was just reinforced gratitude. Yeah. And between those, between those moments, that's when, did you get some like, uh, not ha ha moment, but more like what you just described, like, and that like in a moment during that trip, I got the awareness that the Icaros was my DNA was my, you know, everything. And, or was that after the fact? Well, what I, so through it, I don't know exactly at what point in that ceremony, the lessons all come through, but one of the yeah. lessons that came through was that sound is healing. And that's not, no, that's not new information. None of it's new, but for me, it was sound is healing. And so um, singing for the longest time as a kid, I love to sing. I, I have, I have, uh, I had vocal nodules as a kid. So I, I would get teased a little bit for how raspy my voice was or not singing very beautifully, but I loved to do it. And I was one of those shower singers and all of that came back to me too, on this trip. It was like your voice, you've really restricted your voice um, from singing to not speaking your truth, kind of going along with other people just to please them. And all of this is happening through this like sound bath of Ikeros literally flowing in and out of me. And, um, but more than that, like inside your DNA, 
every yes. single cell, every single everything of your being. That's right. Every, every, every aspect of my being, every par molecule, particle um, is sound, song, love, vibrating. That's the frequency. Um, so, oh yeah, it's, it's, you know, using these words to try to convey the lesson diminish, like diminishes, it, not diminishes, it just doesn't do it justice. As you know, it's so, so, well, potent, so, it, so it, seems, it seems epic to me. So yeah, I, I understand what you're saying because I've experienced yeah. that once in my life, but it's epic. It's totally epic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so from here, we start to, there's been enough space understanding um, and room for healing made that the journey moves from celebration and um, a change of self-understanding to looking at trauma. And it's like all, all the while, by the way, all through this journey, I've actually forgotten my intention. Like, the con like there was nowhere in this journey where I'm like, wait, what about my sadness? I was so elated to not be cloaked in that sadness that I had forgotten my intention, right? Yeah. But uh, I, I mean, my soul level hadn't forgotten. That was part of the work I was there to do. And ayahuasca hadn't forgotten. So what, what was, so this is where the crying starts, Dom. Um, I suddenly am like taken to this chaotic room, like to, sorry, through these chaotic rooms. It's like being in a labyrinth of, of chaos, but it's, but it's not scaring me. It's just like a lot of cacophony. And when I look to the left, it's like all these sharp, jagged shapes and um, kind of discolored, um, opaque things around me. There wasn't, again, I couldn't recall in this moment, the scene, just like colors and like, this is, ooh, I don't like this, this place that much. And it's not dawning on me that this is the part of my house that I've neglected, right? This is, but that's what we're going through. We start going through this labyrinth and and suffering starts to, to arise. And I'm not running from it though. I'm just observing it and being supported the whole way by my guides. And I couldn't tell you any faces or like there was no names. It was just very, I knew that I, that I was, my only job was to look, they'll carry me through it. I just need to witness, witness myself. So I'm watching pain um, and I'm watching the self narratives that I've imposed and adopted of you're not good enough. Um, I'm not, you know, pretty enough, handsome enough. I'm not enough. Lack, 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 lack. And suddenly the music stops because all along there's this music that's carrying me. Like I said, the Ikeros are everything. They're carrying me through like a vessel and it stops. And we're suddenly on a cold, dark floor. And, and I feel myself lay back and I just start to sob and grieve. And the Ikeros pick back up. And I don't know externally if I'm sobbing. I assume I am. You heard many people on this trip in, in the Ikeros that we went or that we were at crying and grieving. And it seems like there'd be a pause and ceremony and everyone's attention would go to that person and help them process their grief. Um, do you remember that as no. well? Uh, like we did that in Arcana, like where when the Ikeros would stop, we would be okay. focusing on yeah. one person. So I, I, yeah, I guess I, I, I I didn't get that. I always saw this. Anyways, that's my journey. I'm going to talk about it. Yeah, sorry. So, but, yeah, uh, okay. Yes. So I found, 
anyway, so I, I have to remember, let's, I'll try not to overlap too much with Arcana and my Nikaya. So oh, we'll get to Arcana and I'm going to tell my story at the same time as you when we get there. That's, that's anticipation. Uh, but cool. in, uh, in this journey right now where you're at, uh, the Ikaros would stop to go help out people. Yeah. So the, so the Ikaros, in my experience, again, I'm not, I'm not in the Maloka of what, with what I'm experiencing. I'm in, I'm in another realm, another world, different state of being. And, but I'm seeing before me a cold, dark floor and I'm lying on it. And I just kind of give, I just surrender. I give way to what has been welling up inside me, which is grief and sadness. And I just grieve. I give myself permission to finally cry, to let all the emotions of not being good enough, of being weak, of fearing um, people thinking the worst of me, of actually being the worst, so on and so forth, just comes pouring out of me. And I, as I, I cry, yeah, I'll continue. Sorry. As I cry, I'm, I can hear myself in my support saying, "It's okay. You're loved. I love you. It's okay. And it's okay to cry. It's okay to feel. There's nothing wrong with that. That's completely human, and and it's a part of your makeup." To restrict, to hold us back from yourself causes suffering. And it was getting the lesson while get, getting the healing at the same time. And the type of crying, is it like a, because uh, I, I want to talk about that because in my life, but the type of crying, is it like the, the walls are open and you're crying? And I know, I, I, that's what I want to know. Does it feel like good or is it like really like a trauma is processed? Like, you know, the processing of trauma, crying can feel very uh, painful, uh, very kind of, not that you're, maybe, I want to know, like, what type of crying? Like, how did you feel? Uh, I don't know if you're understanding my question. Because yeah. there's many types of crying, right? There's the crying of like, finally, or there's this crying of like, oh my God, look at this cr like crap that's processing through me or like, you know what I mean? Well, let me see if I know what you mean. I, I, think, I think I'm following you. So I'll, I'll do my best and just explain what I was experiencing in that moment. And it was, it wasn't, it was finally me not thinking about crying or thinking about how I looked or how I would, or how I would be perceived. Um, it was me surrendering and it was like it, it sure it felt good but it also it wasn't it wasn't a, like when i laughed that felt great right ecstasy yes this wasn't ecstasy um it was it was healing it was catharsis but it was it was truly letting go and and i'll give you an example uh by sharing the rest of this experience this journey this part of the journey was as I let, as I let the tears come, as I let the, as I let the grief be felt and come through, it was giving myself permission to let go of that guarding, guarding in restrictive parts. And, and I looked to my left and I'm not kidding. There was a dead part of, there was a dead me laying next to me. What? It's like, this is, yeah, this is what you've been carrying around and now you're ready to let it go. And it, all that was like instantaneous. I knew and, and I grieved, I grieved that me because that me had served me to a certain point, right? That me had helped me create my business. That me had, had helped me navigate childhood traumas. Um, that me had helped me survive the public school and um, fights and all kinds of things. Um, 
that knee needed to be honored. And that was that whole ritual, this whole ritual of going to, to Peru and asking for healing and letting go was also an honoring of the past, the past self. Um, so it wasn't throwing, it wasn't just, hey, I don't want this anymore. I don't love you. It's, hey, thank you for your service. Thank me for all that I've weathered. And thank you for making me me. I can now let you go. I, it's now time for me to let you go. Thank you. And I remember because I wasn't, I wasn't strong enough to just walk out of this energy space. My guides picking me up and me look, kind of just looking over my shoulder. And that, that was the gratitude all at once. Thank you so much. And I just felt absolutely unburdened. Um, and the rest, the rest of that journey um, was celebration from there because that was what we that was what we'd really come to to look at and that and that's that was I got what I had come for on that I got what I had come for by the second ceremony and there was two ceremonies to go um, and it reminds me it reminds me of Terrence Mc, I think Terrence McKenna who says or maybe it's Alan Watts when you get the message hang up the phone have you heard yeah. that yeah of course well I didn't want to hang up the phone I was enjoying the conversation <laughs> So, um, like if you wouldn't have had your brothers and sisters to help you move out of that space, you could have, like, you wanted to stay there and mourn your, your physical body or like, that's kind of cool. Like, uh, uh, like, would you have stayed there? Like if ever they wouldn't have been there, would that have been something so difficult that you wouldn't have been able to get out without that help? Hmm. I, I didn't, that, that question didn't cross my mind. Okay. I, I just, but, it, but it, is a, it is a good question, an interesting one. What I do, what I note though, is that I haven't thought of until we're having this talk is I was carried the whole way, right? Yeah. As I'm going through this, there was nothing I did on my, there was, I, what I did was look as I guess is, is what I'm trying to say. Right. I was carried to this point and I was supported by, all the people in the Maloka who are doing their work. And I was supported by, I would say, um, other beings of, of higher, more developed awareness. And, um, excuse me. That's and okay. they carried me to that point and they carried me. It's like, they, it felt like, it felt like it was a simultaneous decision of me. I was done. I, I had grieved for what needed to be grieved in that moment. And they were, they knew it was time to move on to the next, the next area of self, I guess, the next part of the journey. And I felt no attachment to it. In fact, I was probably, I'd say I was relieved to, to know that that was the sadness. That's what I was carrying around. I was still carrying around a perception of self, a distorted perception of self um, that was no longer serving me. And that needed, in order for me to step into my next part of life, I had to let myself go or die, so to say. And also the, uh, the gratefulness and the awareness now that crying openly, I, I call it crying openly without shame, had now, like that was a new you when you let that go. Yeah, that's right. That's and, true. And you had that awareness like you, because, and I, that's what I'm wondering. It's like almost letting your, your biology finally be, itself you know when feeling sad like to to go through the grossness of snot and whatever you know crying 
traumas uh, was in the past now like uh, tell me about that yeah so at the time again mid-journey i none of that was being processed or, or it might have been being processed but it wasn't in my awareness right you know that um oh now i can cry whenever i want it was give really the lesson for me was i'm the one who gives myself permission right i made an agreement at an early age that said hey it's not okay to cry. You have to be, you have to be strong. Don't be weak. And that carried over. And it wasn't, it was hurting me in my relationships because it kept me from letting people get close to me. Um, it kept me guarded in some regard, <laughs> guarded in some regard. Yeah. Um, and so that was, that was one of the key lessons, how that's continued to show up now that that shifted me over the years is I've cried in front of family, which where, where I would not have my role within my family, I, I felt was to be, um, to learn how to be a provider like my, like my dad was for me as a kid and my mom, um, and to be strong for my brothers and sisters. That was reinforced role within my family. And that's the role I took within my relationships romantically as well. So. That's amazing. Being, and yeah. Yeah, continue, continue, sorry. So, so accessing a part of myself that I had been denying was very healing and it's continued to be. I mean, I, it doesn't mean that I always feel comfortable crying now, but I don't beat myself up or tell myself I'm weak for crying. Um, and that's a big improvement for me. That's a, an incredible improvement. And like, it's making me think like without that experience, is there any way that anybody can shed that part of themselves that is uh, dead or broken or like that? That is crazy. You know what I mean? I, I know I I don't know if nobody knows the answer. It's just that's what's going through my mind, on, you know, how can you let that, such a big part of yourself go, without help? Like it's blowing my mind. Yeah, I, I suspect that um, you're never doing it alone. Whether whether you, one, you know, uses the medicine of ayahuasca, or whether one uses um, not uses, but participates with ayahuasca or participates in um, counseling, like, you know, ther therapy yeah. or, yeah, or meditation and therapy or somatic body work. Or, these are, these are all different modalities and tools that we have access to uh, and that help us get to know ourselves in one another uh, more authentically. And so I don't think ayahuasca is the only thing, only thing, the only game in town, so to say, but it's the one that resonated with me right that and it continues to resonate with me this is my this is my dharma so yeah um, as i asked that question your trip just came back in my awareness of you know the like what you went through it really starts with the body you know if you like the the fact that the those entity had to reform you i mean working out to like you say breath work just the awareness of turning to your body and saying, let me do just a little step here and a little step here to make this body work a little bit better is like almost like a first step. And then, you know, like the idea that the body and your, your mental health are, are two different things is completely bonkers. Like it, they both go hand in hand in so many ways. So even if you take a little step here towards your body, it will affect your mental health here and there i'm guessing but you're that's what your journey is telling me anyways yeah and i mean we 
we live in a culture that is starting to catch up to what the science has shown too, which is mind body and what's what religion, religions and spirituality have known uh, for a long, long time. These are interwoven, right? They, they're a feedback loop. You change the mind, you change the body. If you change the body, you change the mind. So um, whichever way you want to come at it, you know, it will have an impact whether you start with mind or you start with body. But um, what you said so, is so true. Oh, sorry. Continue. Yeah. Oh, no, cool. yeah, that's that was the crux of it. Because uh, the one that gets me lately, which is kind of blowing my mind is as I'm working on spirituality, I am seeing physical changing, like my shoulders used to be hunched forward and without any kind of uh, working out or me like I'm standing straighter. I'm looking better. I'm looking in the mirror and I can see myself just looking better. I'm like, where, what's going on from today to yesterday? And then I think back like, oh yeah, you did a little bit of work when it comes to your mental health. And all of a sudden the, the person that's facing me in front of that mirror is actually looking better. And there's like, there's less lines on my face. There's it, my hair seems browner and less gray. I, <laughs> my hair too, Dom. My hair looks way better since you've last seen me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're bald. <laughs> yes. I like that. That's right. <laughs> oh, man. My, bar my barber does good work. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to put a picture on the uh, podcast to, to show people that joke. Oh, yeah. Um, do you, so I need to just take a quick break here and well, use the restroom. I think oh, that I really think that we should stop it here because that was such yeah. a, a beautiful journey, but I, I mean, this is not over. I hope you're willing to come back uh, if you don't mind uh, to continue yeah, I mean, this I, journey. I love, to, I, I love talking about myself, you know, so. And, and like <laughs> yeah, we were, yeah, continue about that. Yeah. No, I love, I, I enjoy revisiting uh, these, these moments. And also it opens the door to hear other, other points of view and, and to hear your experience and, yeah, so I, I feel very privileged and would love to come back and continue. And the truth is, we're not even done with my first ceremony. There's more, believe it or not. Like no I said, way. this was the, oh yeah, this was the most profound one. Um, and it was the longest lasting one. Like I, when I came back out of it, I thought I had been gone for years. Actually, no, that's not true. Lifetimes. It felt like I had lived lifetimes. It was really, but that, is that like anything else. Is that ceremony done though? The second ceremony, is it like? you no, came back there's more seriously yo i'm gonna pause yeah. this i want to hear more all right <laughs> all right matt you're back nice all right so so yeah i was I, I, I at this point the my guides are moving me away from the part of myself that is being let go of the part that has served me for three decades uh and <laughs> that part of you gratitude is he like dead, uh, disgusting, decaying, or can you see, like, tell me, what did you see? Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, all of those things that you just said, it was really it, quite, it, I looked at him or looked at my shed layer of self and it looked like this rotting skin corpus and it sounds terrible, but that's what it was. It was like this skin that had been held onto for way too long is what comes to mind. Um, and that's on the floor, the cold floor that allowed you to start uh, crying. Like I was laying yeah. on that dark, I guess, black floor. I'm not sure. Yeah. And actually as, 
wow, I'm, I'm being brought right back to that experience. I remember laying there as I'm crying and as, as the tears are releasing, as the grief is flood, flooding out and given permission to be processed by me, I feel hands of support all around me. And I don't know if it was the facilitators that were there, like, you know, offering me support on the outside, or if that was my guides or both, you know, we're, we're multidimensional beings. So it could have been that the facilitators who were there were also operating on the soul level with me. But um, I felt loving hands helping me grieve that part of myself and, and just supporting me as I let that part of myself go. And then as I did, truly letting it go, it's just like I said, we've floated on to the next part of the journey. Um, and See. that's where, again, I got the crux of what I had come looking for to, to resolve the deep sadness that I carried around and that colored my experience of the world. So did you stop crying at this point or, and the gratitude came back? What were you feeling when you were being pulled away? Like the, the transition was from sadness to still sadness or sadness to gratefulness, love? Yeah, it was all, it was all those emotions present at once. Right. And I think that's what was also quite fascinating. It wasn't just like, I'm sad now and there's no room for anything else. It's I'm sad. It's okay that I'm sad because again, my, uh, mode of operation my psychology at the time was it's not okay to feel um, sad and and show that sadness it's okay to be stoic that's that's a better thing and it's safe and like all these different um, guarded and constricted parts of self were suddenly freed and released up and I could truly just let it let it let myself be as I am and that's that self-acceptance so um and that dead As, thing that you left behind, you really left it behind? Like it's not something that you're still carrying and kind of struggling through sometimes when you're feeling depressed or whatever, like it's actually you, it's dead, it's out, it's gone. I would say that degree of suffering has been left behind. Nice. That degree of jaundiced eyes have been traded in for different eyes, so to say. I, I in fact, one of my friends who I sent the podcast from yesterday to listened to it and he really enjoyed it, by the way. And he asked me a similar question about anxiety and depression. And he's like, oh, you know, post ayahuasca, do you like, are you free of anxiety and depression or is this something you still have to cope with? And I said, no, I, I still cope with anxiety and depression. But my framing of it, my deeper understanding of why these states arise has, um, changed my relationship with self into these, into these ways of being. So I still, yeah, I still get anxious and that anxiety is not always just mine. You know, we, we, we come from families that uh, generational patterning traumas um, have shaped our personalities and carry with them and, it, uh, and it's also the uh, the paradox of the more open you are, the more you are susceptible to feel others' pain, because now you have the capacity to either become a like your path, you know, your purpose. Who knows what that is? But it always ends up well, not always, but often, as you go through your this type of journey, you get to heal others through your openness. You know, I, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, 
and that resonates. In fact, it also highlights where I still suffer. Um, so I'll start with why, that, why I think that's beautiful. You, by remaining open, you acknowledge that life carries with it suffering and you, and you see and acknowledge the suffering that others are experiencing, which validates them. Um, and really, to me, that's the role of, of a healer. It's, it's not that you transcended all that human suffering. It's that you've, you've grown enough to sit with it. And, and not, it's not that you're fully okay with it yet. I mean, I'm not anyways. This is why I still suffer. But you, you can breathe with it. You're more battle-tested. You can sit with the other person and be the space with them through it. It doesn't mean you take away their suffering, just like no one can take our suffering away. We have to resolve and let it let let that go in some way. So, yeah. um, I have a friend that uh, talks about it as if like the more you go towards in your journey uh, in healing, it's the more you're carrying that suffering that suffering with honor, and while you're carrying that suffering, everybody can kind of pass through that because you're it's such a because it's it's heavy it's big as a mountain but it's as light as a feather it's depending on your day you know if you're fully rested and everything but when you are carrying it fully and it's as light as a feather it's kind of it becomes a filter where as soon as you interact with somebody else they have no choice but uh, like they can I, I don't know how to explain it but it's more like their suffering gets to attach to your suffering and then through that there's healing because you're you get to carry other people's suffering at the same time and kind of like almost process it to filter it i, I don't know I'm, I'm just yeah vibing yeah no i'm saying yeah yeah, yeah. You, what, what resonates for me and connects from what you just said is again we are well we are in having an individual experience we don't exist on an island so we do share each other's suffering, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, right? That's yeah. which only exasperates our suffering if we're trying to avoid it. Um, so being like a, we're part of a super organism. And when one part of the organism, when, when the pinky is, when the pinky is in pain, just because the toe is not in pain, doesn't mean the whole organism doesn't feel it, you know? Yeah. So to say. Um, but it's and, also the, oh, sorry. It's also the awareness that suffering when it is laid as a feather, it's actually a bliss. And that is that blew my mind when I realized that. I don't know if you've experienced that before. I've not, I've not heard it said that way. So um, okay. please I, expand on it. Well, no, no. When we, when we get there, when we get to my journey in, in our arcana, I really want to focus on uh, that second ceremony still because I'm so curious. And I, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So switching. So it's not switching. As, as a transitioning from the letting go the parts of self that we're ready to be let go of uh it felt like a movie scene like transitioning to the, to a new scene and i don't know how we how i got there or all the in between but suddenly i was back on the spaceship so to say and this time there were actual physical formed aliens in front of me like i the the stereotypical uh big alien heads and there was there was these and i'm just like a fly on the wall of consciousness observing but there was like three aliens sitting in the triangle triangle and they were meditating like they were all in the lotus position 
an absolute, just complete stillness. And, and they were communicating with me, but again, it wasn't through words and it was all love. It was all love. Um, and actually what, what came through kind of was have patience with, with self, have patience with your development and the development um, of those around you. Patience, patience, patience. Um, and like now looking back, I'm like, that's so mind blowing. So many different archetypes came up in that, in this, in this journey. And I'm just not surprised. And I am surprised that, you know, aliens were a constant theme from the spaceship bring, bringing us out of the Maloka to, to meditating aliens, uh, communicating telepathically through symbols and things like this. Um, Where's that? Do you have a passion for aliens? No, not really. Okay. <laughs> and no, I mean, like, so that part is kind of surprising. All right. And those aliens, did they have clothing? Were they naked? Were they green? Were they like, I'm sorry to harp on the, the, the actual visualization. It's just, I'm so passionate about that. Yeah. In fact, now that you, with your question, there's more that's coming back about what was included in that experience they i don't recall them having clothing i wasn't so fixated on right those details um but i don't recall them wearing any clothing and i do recall almost like a native american um like great spirit kind of energy in the room and part of part of this hero's journey so to say or full-blown mystical experience going from the dark night of the soul to being reborn was an element of play element of play within this part of the journey and i was at this point i must have been sitting in like a lotus position or a meditative position um, probably emulating the aliens that i was looking at before me but they were the message they were also sending to me was you know don't be so hard on yourself you know like love yourself more have grace for yourself and then it's like this energy took my arms and i started like doing the way of and I was standing up dancing like, like a rain dance on my, on my mat. I was, and I could see, I could simultaneously, I was existing on this plane with these aliens, not plane, like plane flying, but like a, an energetic plane of existence yeah. with these aliens that were, you know, teaching me. And then simultaneously I was existing in the Maloka in the physical form. That was the first time where I felt I was two places at once. And that dancing, giving myself permission to be guided and dance was, uh, was very lighthearted. Like to use the term you said, light like a feather. It was very much like I had a, been, that burden had been lifted off of me. And so play was, play was a theme of that part of the journey. Play, and, play, play. Yeah. And after the first trip, when, uh, you know, the, the puking, it sounded like you had an awareness of like, oh man, the, the people beside me must have had a horrible experience because you were puking for so long and the noise you must have been making. In the second second ceremony, when you came in with a lighthearted, when you were doing the, the dancing, I'm guessing again, like because of all of the healing and the, the surrender of allowing your body, you were dancing like nobody was watching. Yeah. Oh, exactly. amazing. Oh, amazing. Oh, that's beautiful. Because I didn't realize anyone was watching. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you didn't have that awareness. That's my question. I okay. Have, I didn't have, I didn't have the awareness. Ooh, I didn't have the concern. Right. I did, it's like, it doesn't matter. And, and we both know on some level, it doesn't matter. Yes. We want to respect 
everybody's process. You don't want to disrupt um, the healing process of another person. Um, the intent there, there was no malice. It was my lesson was dance, be playful. And in that, in that instance, I was on my mat. I know I could see myself. I stayed on my mat. I wasn't dancing around the Maloka or like in someone else's space. Um, right. And to my aware, to my knowledge, I wasn't singing either. I was just having, uh, I was playing out the experience on the on a higher plane, but playing it out on this plane. And there was healing that was happening at the same time, because those uh, aliens that were in triangle meditating, they were doing work on you, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yes, they were. They were wow. doing work on me, and it was, it was a simple message: play. Don't essentially don't take life. Or, or yourself too serious because I had a tendency being so fixated in my role um, to take life as the serious thing that like I have to be vigilant about everything I'm doing if I'm going to be successful if I'm going to be taken serious and so on and so forth and um, especially as like a me. as a business owner I mean there's so much pressure to succeed or else literally you're going to lose your house yeah yeah I mean that that is part of the narrative I mean, full disclosure, I didn't have a house, but I was renting. Yeah. yeah. It was still, but the, the heart of it is, you know, I want to be successful in order to have these things to be secure. And I have to do it because no one else will for me. So playfulness, being connected to the inner child, those were the themes that came out of that part of the journey. Um, and the music from there on, I mean, there was a point either before or after that alien transition where um, the shaman entered my journey uh, and like, uh, I don't know what the right terminology, 4D, are we, we're 4D, right? 4D, 3D? No, I think we're in 4D because of time. So let's, yeah. So you've yeah, got the 4D. 3D, yeah. So in, yeah, I don't know the right, I don't know what dimension you say, but like they entered, they were almost like, uh, you know, like laser pointers that yeah. you can use, you do like squiggly on the wall and the cat chases it. Yeah. There was like multicolor laser pointer, uh, holographic imaging of, of this sh shaman in front of me. And he was like dissolving and taking form again and again in front of me and just showing me like, you can make and unmake yourself as many times as you want. Like you, you have agency. If you want to make yourself this, you make yourself that. If you don't, you can, un you can unwind it. And I mean, this is a lesson I'm still learning to, to not, yes, there's a, there's benefit to being fixed and cultivation and discipline towards any goal, but that's um, all, that's all based on an agreement that you make around something you want or something you want to have an experience in. And then if you don't want to have that experience anymore, you can unravel that in some way and, and remake yourself. That, that may not have been the full lesson, but that's kind of the lesson I, I take from it now, looking back. Um, and that lesson, that was, it was more of a teaching compared to like when you were liquid, it was like a knowing. This one was really cool. Like you could see that he was another, he was not like inside of your cells and you could see the message he was sending through, but in, not comparable to, you know what I mean? Well, it was, it was, so he's singing the, all the, all the while, the, he's singing the Ikiros. It was almost like he was in two places at once. He and she, they are both, there's more than one. They were, they were obviously in the Maloka singing the Ikiros. And then they were in, I felt like they were interwoven in this plane with me and just like constant dynamic movement, 
unraveling and then coming back into to some for some form and they were and i i was oh, i i was also taking on the same shape of them it's like they were teaching me how to do this right as they're singing they're like yeah you do this note at this pitch and you can have this experience in in the realm of of the formless so to say so it was so at different well, points of this journey i would say the lessons got more and more advanced at times right <laughs> for, right. for my you know oh that's so um, cool continue Woo. Man, I'm going on a journey. It's crazy. I feel like I'm there. That's fantastic, man. It, well, and I, yeah, so from, I guess from there, from there, I also had some uh, past life regressions, uh, what people might identify as a past life regression. Like there was a moment where I was in, in Egypt on, in like the sand dunes and I had like a big headdress on. I was no pharaoh or anything. I was a worker. So, but I just remember like, laboring under the hot sun not feeling any of the suffering but just kind of witnessing this life and i was like oh this is interesting um and then in a in in the earlier point of the journey i was also in a life where i was like uh in a tribe and we were like a cave tribe and we were stoking a fire and i was chanting like i was the the role that i had within that tribe I don't know if I was a medicine man or what, but I was singing a, a chant like to keep the darkness at bay, so to say, and like to be like a guard, guarding the light and, and fighting off the darkness. And it was, so it's interesting. It's also why I think when I came back um, to, to my sensory experience that I thought I had lived lifetimes because in my journey, I had been to Egypt and then I had been like in uh, a cave with a tribe that was like, uh, pr not primordial, but uh, what would you call that? Like Neolithic times? Yeah. Now, so, when, when you went back and do those past life things, that's I'm curious. Like, did you heal some traumas? Did you learn? Was there teachings from those visions? Or was it just an, like, yeah, I want to know about that. It was more of feeling. Like, it was almost like, so you know how the, the brain gets, uh, you have like the reptilian brain with its reflexes? Right. Uh, it felt more primary D being in like the cave with this tribe or this group of people it felt like there was fire and uh fear and then um anger and then love and like it was it was more feeling based and it wasn't there might there probably were lessons there but not in the way not in the way that my conscious mind could put words to it it was just more of an experience, I guess, primary, primary feelings. Sometimes um, I the wonder Egyptian if, one. Oh, no, sorry, continue. Oh, no, I'm so the Egyptian one, I don't recall any lesson with it. It was just more like I was passing through a lifetime. I'm like, oh, look at, I, I was an Egyptian or, or maybe I wasn't an Egyptian. Maybe it was just like, I have access to this timeline because there is no time in that place. It's just like, you have access to it all. So and because you didn't really, like, it came by surprise, obviously, it's not like, oh, I'm going to do some past life regression. Sometimes right. I wonder if it's like, you know, the like you said, uh, the reptilian brain, I like how you went there, into the idea that in this life, when mother is doing healing with the, the medicine, if when she's healing your, your, your brain, you get to touch, like, those visions allowed mother or allowed something to to do work within you and to often i i notice that because it's not the first time that i hear people going through this experience and everybody always comes out like oh that was cool or 
you know, not necessarily teaching, but as I've been meditating on that idea is, uh, oh, how can I explain it? It's, it's, it's like almost like a physical thing. Like the, these past lives are actually getting healing from the experience that you just had before. Like it'd be your gratefulness or the idea of letting go or the idea. It's almost like past karma. And I know people have a hard time doing that connection, but do you remember before going into those past lives? I know it's hard to, to think of like uh, the flow of things like, oh, this happened before or whatever, but the entirety of it, let's say time doesn't exist, like the entire trip made it possible for those past lives to be acknowledged or processed, you know, through, I don't know, I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah, um, I. so again, at this point, I wasn't... Uh, I was aware of the, the language of karma and aware of reincarnation, but I had no experience that would uh, lead me to believe in it. However, this experience uh, most definitely changed my outlook on uh, the nature of our being and that we, that we are, we are souls that have always been and will always be and that the world of form is one way that we experience ourselves and learn and grow. So as far as the, your question about. Um, well, I think you just answered it. That in itself is such a healing to have this confidence that your awareness will continue after death. I'm struggling with that right now. I mean, that is huge. Yeah, I guess that was, you know what you say that that was a major lesson. The fear of death um, overarchingly isn't one that weighs on me anymore. Don't get me wrong. If someone put a gun to my head, I'd have fear. You know, I, I'm still experiencing myself as Matthew. There's a personality that I'm operating from, and I still don't want to die. Of course. Um, yeah, the ego doesn't want to die. The ego will always try to protect itself no matter what. Right. And you, as the observer, you can't change that. I mean, it's just the way right. it is. Yeah. But there's a, a knowingness ever since this specific ceremony that has been so deeply instilled in me. It doesn't require, it's not, it doesn't require belief. I've, yeah. I've had an experience. Um, so, and that's I what I would say to any, yeah. yeah. And that's what I would say to anybody. It's like the difference between religion and uh, an ayahuasca ceremony is experience. You know, you, you do religion, you read, you, you get all the stories and there's beautiful lessons and there's a lot of important things there, but it's not, it's a very limited experience. You know, you go to church, you listen to some guy talking versus you feel the earth in your body. You feel the connection to this beautiful environment of which you are part. You touch firsthand the well of life. Um, and there's just, it's such a rich experience that um, belief isn't needed. Faith is, and those are two different things. Um, faith Faith requires that you have trust in something greater than yourself, but not just blindly, like you're jumping off a cliff, right? Um, from what I understand, what I experience, it's there is some inkling, some level of intelligence pulling at you that says, hey, let go. <laughs> yeah. And then that's the, whether you're inching up to that letting go or you run head first, whatever, that's your pace. But um, belief is like this, 
feel like uh, something hitting you over the head again and again, like trying to get you to adopt a way of thinking or an ideology, whereas experience informs faith. And so I have a faith now and an experience um, and, and when consciousness you, being fundamental. Yeah. And when you experience those past lives, uh, is it that your memory, you know, remembers only that part where you were in the cave or that part where you were sweating outside but in your trip it felt like you've you lived that entire life or was it just a glimpse of oh look at that or look at that um it was mostly a a, a glimpse i mean the first the the one where i was with the tribe in a cave that one seemed to last long in fact that one actually happened now that i remember early on in that second ceremony it was like the trans one of the transitionings Actually, yeah, it definitely happened earlier on, but uh, it was it was just a glimpse. I mean, at the time, maybe it felt like it went on longer than it did, but my memory bank of it is that it was me like in front of a fire. We were singing or chanting, and to my right was darkness, and to my left was the fire and the light, and I was like the mediator between the two. So it's almost like uh, uh, you know you waking up in the morning. It's like you don't have to live your entire life to know like your, your memory is almost like you wake up and it's like, yeah, yeah, of course I've, that's my life. That's, you know, I've lived this caveman body, you know, and then you wake up again in another one. But I like that you almost have like a, an understanding that that imagery or that past life is actually helped you into, you know, your journey uh, before, you know, maybe crying or this and that. That's so cool. Yeah, man. And the, I will say to this, so this one ceremony alone has been an ongoing uh, download of unpacking, right? Because one of the key things about these kind of journeys and doing this work is I feel like there's three stages. There's the preparatory stage of cleaning out your body, getting your nutrition right. And, um, you know, maybe watching and reading some literature around uh, shamanistic rituals and other people's experiences and then there's the you show up you do the you do the ceremony you do you like you go on the journey and then there's the the longest piece and that's the integration piece and that's the piece that you and i are now in right oh yeah and one pro, like that one profound ceremony if i never had another ayahuasca experience that'd be okay i mean i i can't help but want to keep you know i don't want to hang the phone up i want i want to see more i want to re-experience that um but there's so much there that can be unpacked aside from the ayahuasca sorry aside from being at an ayahuasca ceremony so just through my everyday life um, through mindfulness through breath work through conversations with friends community transparency there's plenty of work to do and integrate after the ceremony and that's the piece that i'm constantly learning and realizing now um and it gets overlooked i think a lot of times but but also like it's not like you're hanging up the phone i feel is more appropriate for like uh when you uh like faith you know after you've you've really integrated faith you hang up the phone like uh, you trust and yeah you might have do some work on trust again for different things but like this uh hanging up the phone on experiencing life i mean why not experiencing the mushroom ayahuasca uh, more like who knows what's gonna come by like i'm gonna hang up the phone when i die or even then 
you know, if yeah. I if I yeah. choose to, it depends what religion, like if you choose to have a reincarnation or just like you say, hang up the phone and merge with God, or I, I have no idea what's going to happen. I'm just throwing things out yeah, there. And, and I don't either. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I just know that death doesn't have the, the sting that it used to for me. I don't, I don't fear it. Um, I somewhat welcome it. And this tends to be the theme amongst cultures that have a strong focus on spirituality. I mean, the Egyptian book of the dead, the Tibetan book of the dead, the native Americans, there's indigenous cultures have a healthy balance and respect for the forces of death and life. Right. Yeah, I know. It seems like there's something in Christianity that just so scary. Like I talked to my parents that have been Christian all their life and they still have that hiccup, even though I t they, uh, they fully believe there's still something that stings about it. Like there's a sadness about it that yeah. they, they can't get over. Um, yeah. Anyways, neither here nor there, I guess. <laughs> yeah. All good. Well, it's, it, it does actually, that's still worth worth noting when I mean, you're talking about people that are close to you and their relationship with death, even, even with the belief, right? The belief in faith in a heaven and a God who will take them there. Um, there's this apprehension and fear towards death. That's yeah, pretty common. I have to say that that comment as well that I just said, it's neither here or there. That's my insecurities coming up about that still. Like I'm, I'm healing, I'm going through it. Uh, this is yeah, a process man. for me for sure. Yeah, me too. I, we're all in the same boat, same pace. <laughs> well, the thing I like to say is same pace, the left foot can't outrun the right foot. That's right. So, so tell me more um, about that journey. So now you've experiencing uh, some glimpse of a, being a pharaoh working outside. Um, tell me oh, more. Oh, so no, no, no. It, it wasn't a pharaoh. Like it, this is what I want to say. Like I didn't have some vision of being a king or pharaoh. I was just uh, some guy walking through the desert with right. a headdress on. So. I don't know. I don't know what my role was or anything. I just visited the Egyptian times and I was aware that that was the case. Um, it was almost like I, in fact, looking back, it almost seemed like it was a scene of me wandering, you know, I'm out there walking through the desert. So I, I wonder if this has been a karmic theme in my life that I have a seeking nature, you know, seeking out knowledge, seeking out experiences. That's true. That's been the case for sure in this lifetime. Um, just a side note. And this journey is almost wrapped up, by the way, ceremony-wise. Um, Take your time. But Take your time. In this, life, in this lifetime, I've, you know, I've on my own dime been through Southeast Asia, been through South America, been through Europe. Um, had the for all those are for I'm very fortunate to have those opportunities. I've been to Buddhist temples, um, synagogues, so on and so forth. And it's mosques and in, in Turkey. It's been a beautiful experience I, you know of seeking of having these experiences um this might be the first life where i've stepped into my knowing a little more rooted in this spirit um i don't i i don't know that's speculation right i don't know how many lives i've lived um how many lives we've lived intuition There's is strong though i feel like what you're saying is it resonates so yeah don't doubt for sure continue yeah yeah so there's, there's something true to my nature as seeker. And I tend to uh, link up and feel like I vibrate and connect well with people who are also seeking, right? Mm -hmm. um, or, and maybe it's because seeking is symbolic of growth, like to me in some way. If you're looking, that means you acknowledge that 
you don't have it all, you don't have it all figured out. Um, doesn't mean you have to always look outside yourself. You can look within, but there's just something true about seeking that resonates with me. Um, and, and it's in my nature for now, so. Um, but I like what yeah. you just said though, like there is a paradox there that like in your journey, you know, at this point in your journey anyways, you realize like the inside, looking at yourself, going inward is something that you haven't done, right? And now you're doing it in that second ceremony. So, and you're releasing that dead thing and, you know, you just, but there's also uh, to speak on that comment though, on as you continue, as I continued my journey, I'm also realizing now more and more that as I'm looking inside, I'm noticing that the outside is becoming more and more me. So there's that transformation of when you're really aware of the inside, the outside is, uh, is transforming with it. And it, it gives you a glimpse of like, oh man, this outside is more me than, you know what I mean? Like both of them are very equal there they they have a 50 50 part to play in it it's just we all i find i used to get so confused on like even you as you're speaking like oh it's matt speaking but man i'm experiencing what you're experiencing in your journey of traveling the world i was a flight attendant for two years and a half so i like it you are speaking my language so much that i can't help to say like that's just another version of me and the more that i surrender that you are me and this wall is me it it makes sense. It just, it resonates. That's so beautiful. I, I forgot that you were a flight attendant. I remember you mentioning that to me. That's yeah. awesome, man. See, there's that seeker. There's that, there's that world traveling bug. Oh, <laughs> I, I didn't really have a choice to, to, to be a flight attendant. It kind of just happened. Uh, yeah, I could, yeah, I could tell that story. But when I became a flight attendant, I, I didn't even want to go to the, uh, to apply it was in toronto and i lived in ottawa my sister uh, wanted me to go with her because the lineup before you get to the interview is long and she didn't want to be alone and blah blah, blah. and when i went with her she says bring your your resume but i didn't want to be a flight and i just wanted to spend time with my sister anyways it ended up that i i got the job like i got the first interview and she didn't and then i had to go back to toronto by myself and then i I got this, the third interview and then I had to go back again to Toronto and my life was turning uh, upside down. Like I didn't want to be a flight attendant. I was happy where I was and it kind of life took me on a journey for two years and a half. And I was, as I was experiencing the world, I was in full blown depression. So it was quite a, a unique experience. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's awesome that it's not even, you know, even, even I, like I didn't have a choice but there's probably there's sounds like there's benefit to it you know 100%. obviously it took took you to where you are now so yeah 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 and when i'm with other people i'm always smiling so it was kind of a depression of what you were talking about when you rest your head in the pillow at the end of the day how do you feel and that's i always wanted to be out i always wanted to you know and when i was home oh my god the worst feelings so be, being out was a it, uh, an opportunity to be be away from that part of yourself for a little bit well it's more of uh my karmic value it's more of who i am when i'm with other people i cannot help but to be happy and to want to know other people's stories and to listen and to uh, encourage to push people to 
to grow and to smile. Like I've, I don't know, I can't help myself. Like uh, that's why these podcasts are so amusing. They're so amazing to me because it's a something that I'm born with. I love hearing other people's story. I love being with other people. When I'm at work, it doesn't matter if the work is shitty. As long as there's somebody beside me, I'm smiling, period. That the end. And that's it. It's just the way it is. I'm happy when I'm surrounded by anybody, even people I don't like. Somehow, yeah, somehow, somewhere I'm smiling and I and I interact with them because that's just who I am. And I, I, I not that I surrender, but I accept everybody, anybody, I don't, I've always been non-judged, like, I don't know why, and yet I do judge people, like, as I, I grew up as a teenager, like, I, I judge how you look and everything, but as soon as you make contact with me, judgment goes away, but if you're, yeah. if you're uh, not a part of me, and I see you from afar, I would judge, like, that's, you know, things that I've, uh, that I've healed uh, after ayahuasca, and I've realized, like, oh, I was just judging myself, but as soon as I interact with somebody, it's like almost when you're driving in a car and you're like, fuck you, you just cut me off. And if we would get out of that car and I would start talking to you, I would feel shame right away and I would want to be your friend and somehow I would be smiling and I'd be like, let's go have a beer. Like, I don't know, it's just <laughs> me. Yeah, I don't know. But, you know, it's wonderful to hear that you're aware of yourself and aware of how you how you experience yourself in certain situations. And uh yeah, you, you've said essentially so hum on many occasions in this conversation. You're like, I am that. I see that like the separation kind of disappears. Um, That's one of the knowing that I was uh, fortunate to have uh, this year through many different experience with the mushrooms or whatever. But yeah, that's, that's a knowing that yeah. I'm, I'm so happy to have. Yeah. <laughs> well you've you've been doing the work my friend so <laughs> oh man you're doing the work with me right now Tell you yeah the truth. so much you healing is coming out of this so is there more from that second ceremony um again no that's the bulk of it uh I will say I remember the the, the end of the so the ceremony I couldn't tell you how it exactly ended because the chronology of things was so discombobulated you know when you're going from beings that are smashing you with anvils to being liquid to being like laser pointers with shamans to aliens in a spaceship meditating it's in egypt you just kind of lose track of <laughs> yeah the, um, the only thing that's really uh concrete is you had the laughing you had the crying you know yes. and uh, and then you know whatever happens in between but the laughing came yeah. first the crying came after and then yeah yeah, yeah. uh and then the next day, like I said, the day after every ceremony, this group share and integration work and uh, everyone seemed to have more cohesive narratives to what they experienced. But I was in such shock and utter amazement that all I could say was aliens are real. <laughs> and and it's like, you know, I don't know how to process this. It's just so much, you know, you go from, I went from not knowing firsthand the experience of divinity and how vast our universe is and what are what we are to having access and it's it's like being hit with a a fire hose in a good way and then you're, you're being asked 
asked to share what you experienced. And I'm like, I'm just a little teacup. I don't know how to t- share all that fire hose water with you. Sorry. Um, yeah, so yeah. this is what I mean by like, it, it's been taking years for me to integrate and um, yeah, but ongoing. I've got a feeling that in that integration circle, you must've been smiling ear to ear, no matter how tired you were. Oh, and that's where totally. like, maybe others at this point were like, oh, I want what he had. Cause you know, you're talking with everybody. I was, and again, at that point, I was still under the impression that we'd all gone on the same journey to some extent that we'd all got sucked up in a spaceship and there was a, right. Yeah. I, I, I want to know about that. Like when you got the realization that some other people like were really maybe not having a good time still, even though you thought that they had, did it like, how did that make you feel like to see like, Oh my God, like I have had such this beautiful experience and everything. Did you get that realization or it really took a couple of days to be like, really, you're still feeling shitty or you know what I mean? It, yeah. I, I don't, I, I do recall so even after the second ceremony, people having hard times or, or just not, not having the blast off experience for, for lack of better language or really the profound experience. And I didn't have any, anything but hope for them. Like, man, I really hope they have that because I, I know what it feels like to not have it. I know like how disappointed I was. Um, even my demeanor changed going from the second to the third ceremony. Whereas before, whereas in the second one, I was like, oh man, the first one was so hard. I don't know if I have it in me. By the third one, I was like, I can't wait to do this. Oh my God, let's go back. Let's ride the spaceship. Let's this phenomenal. <laughs> and at the same um, time, like between the first the first one and the second, or I'm guessing a lot of your uh, family members were there for you, kind of helping you lift you up. And now at this point, now you could lift them up, I'm guessing, and probably took, I mean, I know you personally, but you probably like you were probably a light source for others at this point and you were more there for others compared to inwards, you know, like self-pity, I guess, is. You know, I don't, you know, at that time I met, I don't recollect being, everything was so new and fresh to me. uh, And I don't know if I really was a light source. I'd have to ask those people who were around me. I do know that there was plenty of hours spent leading up to each ceremony where we, you know, do artwork together and just talk and laugh. And um, I know I felt supported and I'm pretty sure from what I saw, everyone else was feeling supported. Um, But again, there was even, even I'd say by the end of, we had four ceremonies, it was nine days. By the end, everybody had seemed at least to have had a beneficial experience, even if it wasn't blast off or you know the profound universal mystic experience there's still other ways that ayahuasca works on a person than than the uh ego dissolution right and on a side note like that second ceremony did you go up for seconds or was that just all on that three quarters that was one and i remember thinking i'm gonna have to do two doses again and i was so gone there was no i missed the call for the second one (laughs) wow Three quarters got you blast off. So it really depends on what mother has in store for you. Because now I'm curious because you kept, you. I, it's a few times you said that that second ceremony was the most profound. So I'm really curious about the third and the fourth on the, the next podcast when we rejoin. That is, that is crazy. And like to know like the entire picture 
of what mother madre had has in store for you i'm yeah. curious i'm so curious i would love to continue personally but you got things to do i got things to do myself uh but thank you so much for coming on this podcast like you brought me on a journey that i i'm forever grateful like uh, i understand that you like sharing because uh you know you honor your your body and your ego and like whatever you're going through and it's healing as well on you but i'm telling you you've brought me on such a beautiful journey and i'm sure it's going to be the same for the listeners oh my god wow well thank you dom i i appreciate you giving me the opportunity to share it really is a privilege and um it's also like makes alive what's already there again through memory right that that experience comes back somewhat um things that i haven't thought about until reliving the experience with you so and, uh, and as for the well, opportunity like uh, i just realized that like uh i had to cancel my trip before uh, because of covid so i'm pushing mm -hmm. it to whenever canada gets less scared uh and kind of open up restriction but it would have been this week <laughs> so it's oh. it's really cool man like i've had a couple of uh experiences just and i keep forgetting but yeah it would have been this week and next week actually because i i'm gone for two weeks but i would have been in my uh what are we today thursday that would have been my third ceremony today probably well i'm, I'm glad that i get to act as a substitute for the for the meantime and you are i you are that's the realization i just got man thank you so much man a pleasure brother monkey and so frank much. monkey and frank for life oh i'm so excited all right see you next time i love you man all right brother cheers love you